the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Behind the net, tuck all alone. They shoot and score. Martinez over on the far side was left all alone, and he picks it top shelf. Did some good stuff early, but you know it was a total collapse in the second Trangelo period. Shot blocked away. No, in front shoot, score. That one's tapped in by Carrier. So the Vegas Golden Knights are now up four to one. Soft plays, just you know, coverage things like that around our net. Goals that probably should be stopped. Shoots and scores. He was below the goal line. He bounces it off the shoulder, then the back of the head of Uso. And Jordan Bennington's coming into this one with his team down 5-1. to one. A horrific goal going in against the Blues on that one. Pretty um, unconfident group right now when things don't go right out there. Things are going to happen. Goals are going to go in. You better be a lot mentally, mentally tougher than that. I'll tell you that. That's weak. It's weak-minded right this now. This one is it. Mercifully in the books. Well, just a hard second period for the St. Louis Blues that brought this one crashing down, and this team's going to regroup. Woof, that's what it sounded like right here in your home for the Blues last night. That voice you heard was Craig Berube, who was sick of it. Sick of it. He's done. He wants no part of what's taking place with the Blues right now. They lose last night 6-1 to one against the Vegas Golden Knights. It looked fine in the first period. Finished that one down 2-1, to one, and then the second period happened. They were outscored four to nothing. And when I knew this was over is when I saw on my Twitter timeline, Alex Ferrario's tweet that came across the screen and it said second period thoughts. And then there were just three dots underneath it. <laughs> nothing more than that. I the and technical I said to term myself, is called ellipsis. I said those. to myself, yeah, I've had enough. I'm good. I can go ahead and flip over to the basketball game. Now I don't need to watch anymore. The blues are 16, 16 and six. Now they have lost seven straight. They have lost 12 of their last 14 games. They are officially closer to seventh place in their division than they are to fourth, which is where they need to get to make the postseason. Alex, they have scored 20 fewer goals on the season than they have allowed. At this point in time, is there any reason to believe that we shouldn't be hitting the panic button? On this season in particular. Yeah, if it's this season, then... No, I, I mean, I, it's hard for me to find a way to justify that things can turn themselves around because there literally are no more excuses. The players have returned. Now, there's a caveat. There's a fine line with the players have returned because 
Pareko's first game back. Look, he played great, but he played fine. Yeah, he played great for a guy who might have a back problem. But look, he's not going to be up to speed. You still are without Oscar Sundquist. You've had Schwartz, Tarasenko back. They've been back for some time. But even as much time as they've been back, that's still not enough to get these guys up to full speed. But there's no excuses with that anymore. There's no excuses of, well, you know, the schedule hasn't been kind to them. You got a lot more home games and road games right now. The schedule actually allows, there's a lot of games to be played in a little amount of time, but it allows days off in between. There's nowhere else to go but up right now for this team. Like, you can't get any worse than this because I am a Royals fan and my manager, Buddy Bell, once said, never say it can't get worse because, Alex, I can assure you, it can get worse. And the fast line always says it can always get worse because there's death. And I understand that. So, yes, it can get worse. But look, go to death. That's what's going to be worse. (laughs) It's the same thing over and over and over. I thought that game against Colorado Saturday was a really good sign. That's why I still had some optimism because it trended in the right direction, right? You had that shutout loss to Minnesota, but that game felt better than what they've been doing. Then Colorado, then the Saturday game against Colorado. And then it was just nothing. The first period I thought was great. Like they were swarming the Vegas Golden Knights at the opening faceoff. Like Tory Krug had a shot. Like there was consistent zone pressure, but they didn't score. And the problem is when they don't score with the opportunities in front of them, then the other team comes down and gets a fluky goal, and then it's just, boom, confidence is shot. It's safe to say people can hit the panic button. I do still believe that there's a chance to make the postseason for this team. God bless you. It's not going to be pretty. And if they get into the postseason, there's going to have to be a lot of good things happening in their direction, a lot of lucky bounces going their way. But... Things are not looking pretty right now for this team for this stretch and honestly for this cup window. Alex, I love you and I appreciate the fact that I get to talk to you every day because you make me feel more optimistic on my outlook on life in general. Well, what kind of pre and post game host would I be if I came up here and said this team's done? Well, I feel like Craig Berube didn't exactly say that, but he kind of said that in his post game press conference last night. He was asked about the Blues issues that you're talking about with their scoring right now. Oh boy, this dude does not sound happy right now. They got to have a lot more will than they have right now to score, and they got to go to the harder areas to score goals. You can't be on the outside. And, you know, there was good looks, but I mean, the goalie stopped pucks, but there's rebounds there, and we got to get to them, and you got to get involved. And uh, right now, we, we don't have enough of our guys that are supposedly goal scorers doing any of that. And so it's hard to score. That's it. Did you hear what he said there at the end? Yeah. We don't have enough guys that are supposedly goal scorers that are scoring goals. Is he wrong? No. Let's go through the list here. Tarasenko's got two goals since his return. And by the way, since his return, the Blues have won two games. How many goals is it? Or how many games has it been since Braden Shen scored a goal? Since Jaden Schwartz. I mean, he's not wrong. He sat Mike Hoffman because he wasn't scoring goals. And the guys would tell you, I mean, I've played cuts from Braden Shen and Jaden Schwartz on pregame talking about we need to be better. They're not getting pressure. They're not getting offense from their goal scorers. Look at Colorado. Who scored the goals in those games, guys? Nathan McKinnon. Was their top line. Exactly. Who scored the goals against the Blues when the Minnesota Wild played them? Kirill Kaprizov, one of their best players. Who just scored the goals last night for Vegas? 
some of their best players. The Blues have guys. Granted, this team has been all over the place this season. Dakota Joshua has been playing on the third line. Nathan Walker has been playing on the second line. This team has been a scrambled mess but you're still not getting the production on the ice. And I think that's where Craig Bruby's coming from. The Blues have scored eight goals in their last seven games. This is coinciding with their seven game losing streak, eight goals in seven games. They have scored 16 goals in their last 11 games. And five of those came in one game. They are essentially for their last 11, 12 games, scoring a goal a game outside of one outlier. This is no longer a small sample size. That's almost a quarter of the season that we're talking about where they are not scoring. And this is despite the fact that they're finally getting healthy. Their defenseman last night, that is your defensive core. You're not getting anybody else. Your forward lines last night, those are your forwards. You're not getting anybody else back at this point. Everybody's in the lineup. And I'm with you, Alex. I'm not going to judge Colton Pareko off of that one game that we saw last night. We'll talk more about his game as we go along today. But the Blues are out of excuses. It's not about health anymore. It's not about chemistry anymore. Now it's about you're just not playing well. And I thought David Perron made some really good, had some really good comments last night mm-hmm. after the game. I thought he was open, honest. He was the same way this morning on Carriker and Smallman. And that's admirable. I wanted to listen to one in particular because I think one thing that frustrates me about what I'm hearing in the analysis of the Blues right now is how many people are saying it's something about effort or coaching. And I'm done with that. And I think David Perron is as well. It's not like we're letting our foot off the gas here, guys. Like we're, we're really trying to, to get it done every night. That, and it, it doesn't happen right now. It's about us sticking together. That's, that's really what it is. Like we don't start losing faith in anything. We, we really believe in our group. And uh, yes, there's, uh, there's time. But uh, we got to start uh, finding results. And uh, I know you guys are looking for answers. But... Um, I think uh, we're gonna. If we're doing this, it's it's as a team. This is the part that frustrates me. One, the coaching, and we've discussed this in the past. People that blame the coaches, and I loved David Perron's response when he was asked. It's like, come on, really? Like, no. But the effort, because I've seen a lot of people saying, "Oh, well, they just don't care. They're not going out there and putting any effort." That is the furthest away from the truth it can be. I mean, they had thirty plus shots on goal once again last night. Like they're pushing. The problem is they're not getting any production and we want answers, right? Like everything we hear as fans is an excuse because we want victories. You want a W. And I understand that because like you're putting your heart and soul into this as a fan. You need to see the wins. You don't care if there's effort, but from a player's perspective, I've seen it the other way when things aren't good in a locker room, like when things are going bad and everyone is just scattered. That makes the season worse. That's what results in being the worst team in the National Hockey League. Don't believe me? Go look at the Buffalo Sabres. What David Perron said there, I think, is key. And Darren Pang, who I know we'll hear from in a little a little later on because we pulled some audio of this last night, phenomenal post game with Curbs and Joey last night. He said that this group of guys are close. And the only way to get out of this is to stay close and try and keep things light in the locker room. Because if you get down the way that we've been feeling, then this is just going to turn into a catastrophe. And look, believe it or not, like it or not, there's still 18 games left to go in the season. Seven of these are against a team that's about 12 points ahead of you in the standings. You can make that ground up. You can get into the playoffs. But theoretically, if if you start to get negative as a group in the locker room, 
we can be negative all we want, right? Because we watch. We put our heart and soul into it. We pay the money for it. But if you get negative in a locker room, that's when things turn south really quick, and that's when you become the Buffalo Sabres, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that kind of um, the dynamic that is different inside of that locker room versus where we are right now. We can be as negative as we want. It has no impact on the game. None whatsoever. And I think it's deserved to be negative right now. A texter just texted this in, and I saw this stat last night as well from the 636. Guys, the Blues have won 18 of their last 57 games. That's atrocious. At a certain point, I think it is fair to ask the question, did we just overestimate the talent? Did we overestimate the way that this team was going to be able to come together as a group? It's no longer early. This has been a consistent theme now all season long. I know that there have been moments where it's like, oh, I think things might be coming together. And a lot of those moments are close losses. You say that about a team that is on the verge of maybe, possibly, maybe eventually getting things together. Well, it hasn't come together. I don't think it's going to come together for them. Their next 18 games, 14 of them are against the top three teams in the division. So I guess you could read that in one of two ways. In On one side of things, yeah, they've got an opportunity to beat the teams that are ahead of them. On the other side, though, and maybe more importantly, they're going against teams that, let's be honest for a little bit here, are better than them. They're just not as good as the Golden Knights. They're not as good as the Minnesota Wild. They're not as good as the Colorado Avalanche this year. They have been in the past. We can talk until we're blue in the face about the 2019 that won the Cup. This is not the 2019 Blues. It's not. The defensive core is not the same. Jordan Bennington is not the same that he was then. The forward lines have not meshed the way that they did in 2019. It's not the same group, and they're not going to be that group, and it's not going to turn around the way that it did in 2019 because it's not the same team. The reason that team was special is because that's once in a generation. Mm -hmm. You do not see that normally. It's why I get so frustrated at times with Cardinals analysis in the past, not this year, it's different, when people would look back on 2011 or 2006 and say, oh, this team could be that. No, the reason you remember those teams so fondly is because they were the outlier. The 2019 Blues were the outlier. That never happens. And so as much as I want it to click for the Blues, I have no reason to believe from anything tangible that it's going to down the stretch this season. And that frustrates me. It makes me sad. I wish that wasn't the case. I love watching good Blues hockey. But it just hasn't been that way now for over a month. And really, dating all the way back to this time last year was the last time that we saw them playing at their best. It's going to come down to guys buying in as a group into the system, going out there and putting the production on the ice. And frankly, it's going to come down to getting some lucky bounces because the Blues are yeah. not getting those right now. They're getting bounces off the post. They're getting shots. A texter put in and said the Blues aren't going to the net. Nope, go back and look at the goals that they've scored. They're going to the net. It's just they're not getting the results right now. And for me, this is going to come down to, one, buying into the system. But, two, it's going to come down to seeing what Doug Armstrong decides to do with this roster because they might need to shake up. I don't know where you can go from here if you're a GM. But one thing's for sure, the only way the Blues get out of this problem is if they get out of this problem. At some point, you can't blame the coaches. You can't blame COVID. You can't blame the injuries. You just got to accept the fact that we are not good right now, but we are a good team that won the Stanley Cup, and we can go out there and we can shift this, and you got to buy in. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We've got plenty more on the Blues throughout the day today. Like he said, there was some really good audio last night, if you missed it, um, from Curbs and Panger after the game. We'll play that for you coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. We have 
Uh, coming up at 12.15, Jeremy Rutherford and David Sampson, former Marlins team president, is going to join the show coming up in the 1 o'clock hour as well. It is 11.15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, on the Cardinals side of things last night, there was something legitimately positive that took place in the game. We'll tell you what it was coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. We want to get that five innings out of our starter. So, you know, we can manage to get through the through four. You know, asking more of that, you know, starts to tax them a little bit. You know, obviously we're, we're you know, we don't need to stop at five, but um, we feel we felt really good about Ponce giving us a solid five innings, and we'll get those guys into the sixth and seventh before you know it. Daniel Ponce de Leon looked really good last night, and he was not a starter level good. He ended up going five innings. He gave up just one earned run, did hit a couple of batters, but overall his command for the most part was pretty good last night. That's pretty much peak Daniel Ponce de Leon. And by the way, that voice you just heard was Mike Schilt after the game last night. Cardinals win four to one against the Marlins. They are now two and two on the season back at it again this evening in Miami with John Gant back on the mound. Guys, Daniel Ponce de Leon, only four hard hits against him. His uh, fastball was working, and he used it all night long. All night long. Sorry. That's what I expect out of Daniel Ponce de Leon. Do you think that he earned himself another start, though? Was that enough for when his turn comes back around to the rotation? If KK is back at that point, which seems possible, does Daniel Ponce de Leon retain that spot, or does it depend on what happens tonight I, with John Gant? I think you just said it. It depends on what John Gant does tonight, because if John Gant goes, the only problem I had with Ponce, and look at me going from complete optimist to complete pessimist. The <laughs> We're only, playing opposite roles today. <laughs> the only thing that I, the problem I had with Ponce was that he wasn't able to give you more innings. Now look, he got you five, which I think is important. because take that every time for Ponce. None of your other ones were able to do that for you, but... I didn't like how high that pitch count was was when he was in five, right? Like, I want the option to get to six with Ponce because that's what you need right now. Your top three guys haven't been able to do that for you. You kind of need that. Now, I know that's high expectations, but that was my only issue. Now, if John Gant goes out there tonight and hurls 90 pitches for six and two-thirds innings, I'm looking at it a little differently when KK comes back with Ponce, Gant, and KK. Ponce might be the odd man out. But overall, I mean, despite the pitch count, despite the length, I thought he was really good. So for right now, yeah, he definitely deserves because he was one of the best pitchers out of your bullpen so far. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It all depends on Gant's start, but I, I'm okay with the five. I understand with the pitch count coming through, and I was kind of optimistic. I'm not going to lie. And that fifth thing, I'm going, yeah, I think you could get through six. <laughs> you could and, throw out there one more time. Yeah, and, 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 I think and we after, could go to 110 pitches. Yeah, and then after I think two guys got I went, yeah, no, he's only going five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But that first walk, we were like, eh, maybe yeah, you should pull him, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, it's exactly what you needed. And, and we had uh, Todd's Hollinsworth on the Marlins TV analyst the other day. And he said, you know, this is kind of a pivotal game. That bullpen, that bullpen, let's be honest, was probably exhausted. You had three guys probably available. It was Gallegos, it was Hicks, and it was Reyes. And the five innings was perfect amount to get to those three. So would you like maybe a sixth? Sure. But I think it's exactly what the doctor ordered in getting Ponce to go five innings. And it, 
you don't want to stretch him out to the six. I completely get it. I thought it was the perfect that the perfect start you needed from Daniel Ponce de Leon. I don't think you can go to any go into any Daniel Ponce de Leon start expecting six or even that honestly kind of attitude. Yeah. It, it's it's honestly unfair to him. Hey, to, you're in the rotation. Give me six. It's unfair to him to hope for six because that's just not who he is. If Daniel Ponce de Leon is in your rotation, your best case scenario is what you saw last night, where he gets you through five, he's basically unscathed, ends up giving up just one earned, and gives you every opportunity to win that baseball game. If you want him in your rotation, that's what you're signing up for. There's going to be strikeouts, there's going to be a lot of fly balls, and sometimes, last night excluded, you're going to have more walks than you would expect, and that's how maybe he gets through three or four. Um, John Gant's a little different. John Gant's going to be a lot more ground balls. You're not going to have the same strikeout numbers that you get with Daniel Ponce de Leon. It is realistic for John Gant, in my mind, to get through six, maybe even seven innings if he's able to keep that pitch count low. So they are very different stylistically in what they can give you. I think Ponce gave himself every opportunity to remain in the rotation. But I agree with both of you. I think it depends on what you see tonight from John Gant. If G- if Gant gives you six quality inning or six quality innings, you get a quality start out of him six, and he gives up three. I think that's probably the guy that right now the Cardinals would prefer to have in that rotation because Ponce, after what we saw last night, profiles really nicely in that Jake Woodford role. If you can get three out of him as your long man, whenever maybe it's Carlos Martinez or if Wayno has another bad start, they go short. That's the role that I think probably benefits the most for Ponce. And you guys know I love him, but I think that's probably where he's headed. I would agree with you there because we saw the fastball percentage last night. And only 10 pitches were not a forcing fastball. So that, that shows you, and again, second highest rate of fastball use in the last decade in Major League Baseball. It reminded me a lot of Dang. like a, yeah. <laughs> reminded me a lot of like a Lance Lynn start where it's just I'm gonna give you the heat and we'll see if you can touch it. And that's why I think him in the bullpen giving you two, three innings would be perfect because he's gonna throw you the fastball, he's gonna try and strike you out. And in fact, if he's in the bullpen, I wonder if he can even get it up another tick or two because he it's a shorter he doesn't have to uh What's the word I'm looking for? It's a sprint, not a marathon out of the bullpen, right? So you're running a hundred yard dash as opposed to a half marathon. Yeah. So you could just go out there and just give it, give it everything you've got for two innings, three innings. As a starter, you have to be a little bit more conservative. I got to save some of my energy. So I'm not tired after three. That's how he can get into the fifth inning. That's why I think him in the bullpen, probably where he's going to be. And I think it's the perfect role for him. I think the reason that we all talk so highly about Dakota Hudson and rightfully so the results have shown it. He's a ground ball pitcher and he, he look, he can walk guys. We we've seen it before, but his command is a lot better than what we saw from Ponce yesterday. Cause Dakota can give you six, seven innings. And I understand that might be unfair to ask of him because that's not his role, but we had him on our show a couple of weeks ago and he said his goal is to be a starter in a rotation. So don't discount the fact that he spent this offseason stretching out trying to prepare to be a starter in this rotation. So if John Gant can go out there and be that ground ball pitcher that the Cardinals desperately need right now and give them six innings, then I do think that unfortunately pushes Ponce out. Now that's not a bad thing because that gives you that long man that I think you desperately need right now. But more than anything, you need somebody to replicate what Dakota Hudson does on the mound. And I think John Gant uh, spells more of that than Ponce de Leon does. So the other thing that we saw last night was it seems like roles in the bullpen, at least with the guys that we saw in last night's game, Jordan Hicks, Giovanni Gallegos, Alex Reyes. I think that they're kind of coming together now, Alex. I think Jordan Hicks for the here and now. Probably a sixth or seventh inning guy. You want him to come in, heart of the order. He's going to give you a few ground balls. You get out of it unscathed. You feel really good about the way that he looks so far. And he's played well. Giovanni Gallegos, 
That's the role I want him in. Holy cow. We said during our 20 most important players list, he might be the most underrated Cardinal. Yeah. Whew, that's why he looked awesome last night. Super efficient. Got you through two innings. If he can be a multi-inning reliever for this team, you pair that with maybe Cabrera being in that kind of a role. Maybe mm. eventually. Mm. Well, I know, but no. it, maybe right now a, there's three guys you should be talking about. Oh, four. Fix for multi-innings. No, just four guys out of the pen you should be talking about. Webb, Webb. Hicks, Gallegos, and Reyes. Yes. Anybody else? No. Fair. Um, I think Miller might give you multiple innings at some point this year. I know. I know. Um, The other role that we saw come into form, I'm curious if you guys agree with this. Alex Reyes is your closer right now. I'm curious if you agree with this. There are two ways to look at this. (laughs) Um, Do I think that is what the team has determined? Yes. Do I think that is the way that I would want to see him used? No. So those are two very different questions that you're asking me there. I would prefer to see him in a role similar to Gallegos where you kind of alternate those guys. One day it's Gallegos giving you one plus innings. The next day it's Alex Ray is giving you one plus innings. But right now, I think that that's exactly the way that they're going to use him. I am fascinated to see on a back to back situation. If they have a closed situation tonight, do they go back to Alex Reyes? Does Reyes close so is he your actual designated closer, or is this a situation where when he is 100% right. good to go, he's going to go out there and be your closer? That will be interesting. I would imagine at least for now it benefits him because he had a couple of days off, right? Because you didn't pitch Friday, of course, was the day off. You didn't pitch Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, because that was that blowout. Uh, and I don't think he pitched Sunday either. So you yeah. have three. Oh, this you, was it, he, no, this was his first opportunity since Thursday. So that's why I, I think it, in this situation, you do go back to him because I don't think he was utilized too heavily last night where you could throw him back out there. 13 pitches. And so. with those days off, like Alex Reyes is a guy that's not going to need more than 15 pitches to get out of an inning. It really seems like so as much as you don't like it. I am enjoying watching him there. I'm wondering, though, like what the evolution of that's going to look like, because as Gallegos continues to get impressive, does he get that shot when Hicks starts to feel a little bit better? Does he get that shot? And then do you flip Alex Reyes as that long man in the sixth, seventh inning? Because maybe that builds you up to that rotation that you want. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Let's stay on that train of thought. Bet it or forget it. If you've got anything you want to throw at us, get it in on the text line. 65780. Let's start with this one, though. Bet it or forget it. Alex Reyes finishes the month of April with the most closes, the most saves on the Cardinals. We'll answer that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line for a game of bet it or forget it. Guys, we were just talking about the Cardinals relievers, their closing situation in general. Let's start with this one: bet it or forget it. Alex Reyes will finish the month of April with the most saves on the Cardinals. I'd bet that one. I think he is the permanent closer, at least for right now. I think you've established your roles. Uh, Even if it's a back-to-back situation like tonight, I think you go back with Alex Reyes. Now, when the workload gets heavier, that's where it will get interesting. But how rare is it where you have four or five games in a row where you're utilizing your closer? Not going to be rare for this team because they're going to be winning a whole lot of games. We're not losing again. The Cardinals aren't losing <laughs> hey, again we the did, rest of the year. We did that already, and they lost two in a row, T-Bone. Oh, yeah, that's right. We BK and Ferrari owed them with T-Bone. Okay. 
Yeah. That was a pretty bad dad joke. It wasn't uh, a dad joke. More of a pun. That's fine. I'll bet it, too. I I think tonight you almost kind of have to go back to Reyes because it feels like Gallegos is going to be unavailable. I don't see Hicks being available just because you're being cautious with him. Andrew I, Miller. Andrew could, Miller. How can I, you I think, say that with a think, smile on your face? I think part of it, too, tonight will depend on what Gant gives you. If Gant can only go five, I, you're really going to have to try and probably get Reyes the ninth if you have I say lead. give three innings to Andrew Miller. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, I'll bet I, I think Reyes will lead the team in saves in April. And if I'm being honest, guys, by the end of May, I think we're going to know whether or not what the plan is for Reyes this year and next. Agreed. That's a really good point because at a – Hear that, Ferrari? Not a terrible take. No, no that a was a great take. take. No, um, terrible. Great. Because I agree with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, useless opinion, too. I think that we are going to get – a pretty strong indicator early on here as to what the Cardinals want to see from Alex Reyes. So far, he's been their closer. Like that's the role that they're basically putting him out there for one inning spurts. And he's been really good, really efficient in that role. And guys, he's going to be awesome. If the, if he ends up being a closer for the Cardinals, he's going to be great in that role. The only problem the only frustration that I have with it is I think he can be so much more than that. I think he can be your Josh Hader. I think he can be the guy that has the role that we saw last night from Gallegos. I think he can give you a multi-inning spurt here and there. Fortunately, I think he's going to finish the month of April with the most saves on the team. I think he's going to finish the season with the most saves on the team. I think this is just going to be his role. I don't know if I'm going to go that far yet, just because I think when you have Hicks right and healthy, which he seems to be already, just two appearances, He's just so much more dominant as a closer, I think. With 100, if he can get to 105, Van Reyes, I think so. Yes. Oh, I disagree. I think Reyes see, has has better, much better stuff than Jordan I, Hicks. I say that, and I view Reyes just like you, where I view him as something more different than what the Cardinals view. I think the Cardinals view him, yes, as a reliever, setup man, or closer, even going into the future. I view Reyes as a guy that's going to be a starter coming into next season. I think me and the Cardinals and a lot of people here in St. Louis have different views on what Reyes' role is. That's why I say that about Hicks. I think the role adapts this season. I'm, I'm a, the complete opposite direction that you guys are. I think he starts as a, right. as a closer, and I think this is going to adapt into a long man, and then eventually you're going to get to the point where he's getting get strength, lengthened out to be a starter for next season. I hope you're right. I, I'm rooting for your scenario. I will be. I fear mine. I will be. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Let's go over to the blue side of things. No. Guys, bet it or forget it. The Blues trade at least two veteran players at the deadline. The Blues trade at least two veteran players at the trade deadline. Bet it or forget it. What would you guys consider a veteran? Like, are we thinking two players on the roster currently? So not two NHL roster players. I'll bet it. No, you know what? I'm going to forget it because I, I don't think you're going to see those type of moves until the offseason. I think if you see a move, it's going because, again, guys, we're, they're five points out of a playoff spot. Like they're not out of it yet. What were they? Where were they at at the trade deadline in 2018? Uh, I don't remember because they went on a little bit of a run and they missed by one point. And that was when they traded Paul Stastny. That yes. Season. They were. So, a, I'll, I'll go back and yeah, look at where they at were that. at the trade deadline. I want to say they were like seven out or something. Yeah, like that. I mean they went on a run. They went on a run when they when they made that move for Stastny because everyone else was kind of assuming that it's like, oh man, yeah, it makes a little sense. I, I'm forgetting it though because if you make a move, if you're Doug Armstrong, you're making a move to try and benefit this team rather than sell off assets because I don't think you're going to get anything that's going to help you next season with those assets unless you're getting a first round pick to trade. 
And that first round pick is not coming because Taylor Hall, Kyle Palmieri, these are the guys that are going to get a first round draft pick. I don't know if you can say the same thing about Mike Hoffman, Vince Donner, Zach Sanford. So I'm going to forget it. I'm with you. I'm going to forget it, too. I think you wait till the offseason. And, and just the fact of, like you said, if you're going to go get someone and you're going to try and improve the team, I don't know if I, I think the Blues are going to stand pat. I, I I don't see them doing anything. I think they're just going to say, you know what? We got to hope that this thing clicks. Well, and don't forget the expansion draft, guys. Like, I know people want these players off the roster, but you need assets going into the expansion draft. Otherwise, you are going to have to remake an entire roster with guys that get selected. So I can't find the the standings for the date at the trade deadline in that year. But the Blues at the deadline in 2018 were 34, 26, and 4. Significantly better than they are right now yeah. in so, terms so they of their might have overall been closer. record. I mean, I do remember being at that press conference and wondering, like, man, what is Doug Armstrong doing here? And I also remember Doug Armstrong making the comment after making that deal, the Blues team, the players, made the decision for him because they had lost, I think it was seven straight going yeah. into that trade deadline. He always says... He doesn't dictate what happens at the trade deadline. The players dictate what happened at the trade deadline. Well, they have currently lost seven in a row. Honestly, though, to, to, for both of you, and I know you haven't said you better forget it, BK. I'm betting it, by okay. the way. Do you honestly think that any of the players on this roster that are likely to be traded could warrant a first-round draft pick? I don't know, but I think at this point I will take what I can get for him. I don't think this team is competing for anything meaningful this year. And so if it means I'm trading Mike Hoffman for a second round pick, so be it. It was it was found money anyways, and now it's a sunk cost. So if I can get a second round pick for a guy that I never expected to be able to sign in the first place, that's good asset management. And I think Hoffman could get traded. But you said two players, two NHL roster yeah. players. I, I don't see Hoffman, another. And then I think either Vince Dunn or maybe a Sanford. I think you keep these guys because you need the protection at this expansion draft. I I get that, but with those three, I don't know if I look at those three guys and I go, I don't see these guys helping me in the future. Well, by the way, Jamie Schwartz is another one that I think we should start talking about. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like it. I would like Jaden Schwartz to be here for the long haul. But what's your guys' comfort level right now with giving that guy, given what we've seen this year, a long-term big money extension? I don't know if he can warrant a big money extension for It only takes production. one team. It only takes one team. And he's a 2019 Stanley Cup champion who yep. is a significant piece to the playoff puzzle. I think Jaden Schwartz gets treated the way Alex Petrangelo got treated. You know, there's a, there's a set money that Doug Armstrong will pay you. And if you're not going to accept it, then... He'll let you test free agency, and we'll we'll circle back around. And he is a free agent after the year. They have some really tough decisions to make with that expansion draft. They've got to start thinking about their roster now for that. You're right, Alex. I wouldn't want to trade Jaden Schwartz. I would like him to be back. I want that to be very clear. But the team is not performing well right now, and he is a pending free agent. And if I think I can get a pretty good haul for him from a team that is that feels like there are Jaden Schwartz away from really making a run. I would have to consider that given the way that the team has played so far. I, I understand it, especially the production has not been there, but you guys watch the same game that I do. And our listeners watch the same game that I do. And if, if you don't believe that Jaden Schwartz is one of the hardest workers out there on the ice, well, then you're not watching the right hockey game because oh, you get rid of that. him. You are losing one of the top work ethics on this roster. And I think that's a morale killer to a team that desperately needs those type of players in the locker room. I agree with you, but the morale hasn't been good anyways. Whether he's on the roster or not, the morale stinks right now because they're losing. And so I, you're right. He's one of the hardest workers on the team. He's a really good player that is really important for a winner. And I'd like to have him here long term. But if he is not, basically I'm saying this. Here's what I'm saying. 
Army has to make a decision now of how he feels about re-signing Jaden Schwartz long-term. If he wants to re-sign him, if the plan is to get that done, regardless of the cost, then he needs to be here through the trade deadline, and then he needs to be protected in the expansion draft. If that is not the plan, if it is wishy-washy right now, I think you have to be open to the idea of exploring a trade to get what you can in terms of the asset management. This there. is, in my opinion, just like we said in the offseason, the most pivotal offseason in Doug Armstrong's time here in St. Louis. This is going to be the most pivotal time for his even more with that offseason because you're at a crossroad right now if you're the general manager of this hockey team that's saying what went wrong, evaluating it properly and fixing the problem before it gets worse. And that's why I think this there is a lot of pressure on Doug Armstrong right now. Last thing for better to forget it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up here in just about five minutes. Guys, better to forget it. John Nagowski will get a start in the outfield at some point in the next week. John right. Nagowski gets a start in the outfield at some point in the next week. Sorry, not to... to Sidetrack 636. I see what you did there. Pretty nice hall. Taylor Hall. Nice. No, I didn't do that. Don't don't read into me there. Um, I'm going to forget it because I think they're still too concerned about his defense. I don't agree with it. I think he needs to be out there because frankly, nobody else can hit the dang ball. But I think it's going to go right back to Justin Williams. If it's a righty right back to Austin Dean, if it's a lefty. Uh, I just I don't see them giving John Nagowski shot. Honestly, I see Tommy Edmond getting a shot out there before Matt Carpenter or before Nagowski does. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm going to forget it. I, I think you stick with Williams and Dean and Wright. And for some reason, excuse me. Did you just crack yourself up I, with uh, your idea? <laughs> I think I think they are so gun ho on keeping Tyler O'Neill in left field and not moving him to right because you're not going to put Nagowski in right field. You're going to no. put him in left. And they don't want to move a gold glove winner from left field. So, yeah, I'm going to forget it. I think what they'll do is they may call Lane Thomas up and put him out Use sarcasm all you want, but Tyler O'Neill's been the best defender in the outfield position this year. Uh, I think Dylan Carlson's been really good in center, actually. Uh, he's had a couple of rough tracks to the ball. I've been I've been really impressed with what I've seen from Carlson because I was a little worried about him in center. There were a couple of balls that went over his head. You're right. But in general, I think he's been really good out there. How many balls have gone over Tyler O'Neill's head? Well, he's in left field. Big goose egg. <laughs> I don't know that he's even had an opportunity so far. Honestly, you know, to go you know back what else is a big goose egg? The whole the right outfield, field. basically. <laughs> right field. Uh, I'm I'm forgetting it as well. I I wish I could be optimistic. I agree with Tanner. I think if they decide to go with somebody other than Williams or Dean out there in right field, I think it's going to be um, Lane Thomas. I think they get him back on the active roster here in the not too distant future. So I'm going to go ahead and forget this. I don't think Nagowski starts in the outfield, unfortunately. With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are going to play a game of questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Hey guys, how much of the Baylor Gonzaga game were you able to watch last night? And what'd you think of Baylor putting the beat down on Gonzaga? I was all eyes on the Blues game. That's cute. Okay, now that we've got okay. that out of your system. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I liked it, man. As much as I wanted to see Gonzaga go undefeated, I always like to see that team get the first loss. Uh, and and frankly, it was a little enjoyable watching what a, a hater. I know it was a little <laughs> no enjoyable kidding. watching yeah, watching Drew uh, Drew Timmy lose because I was getting real sick of the little facial the hair that he does when he scores a basket. That felt a little nice. 
So I was okay with it. Why don't you grow a handlebar mustache? I've tried it. I look like a mix between somebody who lives in the woods for a really long time and someone who wants to own a Harley. Good point. (laughs) How much did you see last night, Tanner? Uh, I saw, I think I saw final 10 minutes of the first half and then the whole second. Baylor was unbelievable. And I kind of had concerns with Gonzaga heading into the game just because they couldn't get that critical stop against UCLA. They couldn't string them together. And I went, eh, Baylor probably could. Maybe they could shut down Gonzaga long enough. They didn't have to worry about defense. They just were more athletic. They were. They got out and ran. I mean, it was you, impressive what Baylor did last night. You talk about a team that knew how to play underneath the My basket God. and just draw foul after foul. I mean, they were impressive, man. That vital kid, their forward. Yeah. Eight offensive rebounds in that game. He was unbelievable. I mean, Mitchell, Teague, Butler, all of them. They were they were all fantastic. They all obviously have different roles, but God, that Baylor team, I knew they were good. We all saw them this year. They, they were awesome, right? But that's about as well as any college basketball team has played a game all season long, and they saved it for doing so in the national championship against the team that I thought was the best in the country. I didn't think Gonzaga would get shut down like that. And then I looked down at the stat sheet and I was like, oh, they didn't get shut down. Offensively, they shot 51% from the fields in the game. Now, they didn't make their three pointers. That was a big part of the issue for Gonzaga. But the other thing, 14 turnovers. And that's because Baylor is just unbelievably athletic. And they on their own side, Baylor shot 10 for 23 from beyond the arc. Mm hmm. They shot well, they played incredible defense, they made Gonzaga pay for their mistakes, and they got out in transition and ran like crazy. Well, there's your formula that looked like an NBA game that broke out on the court last night. It was awesome to watch, and you could see it is super rare that this happens, guys. Five minutes into the game, oh, if you yeah. watched from the start till the uh, about the under-16 timeout, mm-hmm. you knew exactly how that was ga- that game was going to go. And there was no question at any point from then on out other than the one point when Gonzaga got it down to nine. It was like, okay, maybe they can make this interesting. They were never able to cut it any shorter than that. Baylor re-extended that that lead, and it was never in doubt, ever, for the rest of the game. Yeah, this halfway through that second half, you could tell that Gonzaga knew they were going to lose from the shots that they were taking. Like, it was desperation shot after desperation shot, and it was just hitting bank nonstop. They they were a team that knew the uh, the outcome of that game before it happened. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, did you see Jim Nance last night? Did he end up giving out his tie this year? You guys know the backstory on so this? No, I don't know the backstory in this. So Jim Nance, every year at the NCAA tournament, whenever the winner is crowned, he will find a senior on the winning team that he gives his tie to after the broadcast. It's an it's an honor of his father. Interesting backstory, kind of. Um, and he gives it to a player. He gives it to a senior on the winning team every year. And the seniors like, hey, thanks. It's a weird thing. Like, what do you do with Jim Nance's tie if you're a senior? I don't know, man. Do you wear it like your first NBA game? Or you autograph? Like, yeah, like, hey, thanks, Jim. I'll put it with my other ties. I don't know what you do with it. I'm not sure I totally understand why he does it, but he had been doing it. And then I think I saw last night, if I read it correctly, I think he stopped doing this in 2016. And I don't know why. 
Um, so I was I can tell you why. Yeah, because he's he he saw everyone from twenty or up to twenty sixteen take the tie and say thanks, Jim, and throw it in the trash can. It's an interesting thing, man. What what do you do if you're the senior and, you're, and Jim Nance comes up to you? Which is a cool moment, right? Broadcaster for the Masters and the NCAA tournament. But do you think NFL any games? of those college basketball kids know who Jim Nance is? They I know think who so, he is because he does college basketball and i'm sure they watch a little bit i think they know who he is i don't think they know him the way that we do as like big time sports consumers right or our audience does or a tie i guarantee the guy who got his tie from him is like who's this dude that just gave me his tie that's got to be going straight in the trash that's walking what I'm saying. into the yeah he the locker jim nance right? sees every guy every year up to 2016 <laughs> just walk by and throw it in the trash can as they head to the locker room and he's like oh, i'm done i'm gonna kick these damn ties I feel like last night he should have gone with uh, he should have mailed because COVID, you know, we got it. We got it different times now. He should have mailed his mask after the game to the, uh, to the winning senior. That might be worse, actually. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell do you think he's going to do with a ma- Oh, this this right here. This is the uh, people in 2021 when we won the uh, NCAA tournament. This right here is a basketball from my first NBA game. And this over here is Jim Nance's mask from the uh, from the tournament. 65780 is the air comfort service X line from the 314. Guys, does he put his hotel key in the tie? Ooh. So I actually watched a video of the one that he did in 2016. Just in case. It kind of looks like he did. <laughs> so it's That's an interesting. It's an interesting situation. That's, That's all I'm gonna say about that. That's weird. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It is 12 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider, is gonna join us coming up here in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, let's get back into the Blues. I thought Darren Pang was fantastic on the post game show with Alex Ferrario, Chris Kerber, and Joey Vitale last night. Want to play a couple of things that he said, including why this team is different than the 2019 squad and one player in particular that he thinks the Blues are missing right now. Tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So we're going to get to the blues and why we've got to stop comparing them to the 2019 team here in just a moment. But there's been a trade uh, that involves an NL central team. The Milwaukee Cardinals. Pirate. No. Oh, no, not the pirates. You know better than that. Pirates wouldn't have gotten anybody pirates. excited. Pirates are selling off. Yeah, I know. That's why they would be oh, trading. Who are they selling? They're trading Cabrian Hayes to uh, the Cardinals. Okay. No. Uh, <laughs> so the Braves have acquired Orlando Arcia from the Brewers. My next guess. There is no ta- no announcement yet on what the Braves are giving up to acquire Orlando Arcia. This is a really interesting move from their perspective because... Did they have an injury we didn't know about? Dansby Swanson is their answer at shortstop. I'm not sure that the Brewers have an answer now at shortstop. I'm I'm interested to see as this thing develops over the next 30 minutes to an hour or so. We'll keep you guys updated on it. What this ends up meaning for the Brewers because Boy, they had to get something. And RC is not setting the world on fire. I mean, last year was his best year offensively since 2017, and he hit 260. But of course, the, it was a shortened season. Before that, he hit 223 and 236. So I mean, again, he's young. 
but he's got one hit in 11 at-bats this season already. Yeah, I mean, he he's not a great player, but he, he's fine defensively, and I don't know who else the Brewers have that will now play shortstop. So I'll be interested to see, um, as this thing gets further reported, what they're getting in return and what their answer now is going to be at shortstop. Uh, so we'll keep you guys updated on that as we go along here today. All right, so I was listening to... Of course, as always, Alex Ferrario on the post-game show last night for the Blues game. Uh, You can hear him once again tomorrow night. Blues versus Golden Knights pregame coverage with Alex begins at 7 o'clock. And you add Darren Pang, Chris Kerber, Joey Vitale all stick around for the post-game show. I thought it was great because... Panger is so close to the team, literally, like down by the benches, that he sees things that we don't see. And I think it was Curbs, maybe it was you, that asked him about the dynamic on this team versus the dynamic on that 2019 team when things officially turned things around. Yeah. I thought he had a great response for this last night on the postgame show. The guys that have been the grunt guys here were sitting at the end of the bench, and I remember thinking to myself, we got a bit of a problem. I remember talking to you guys on the plane and when we were on the road, and, I, yeah. and on the air, all I said was, until this group checks their entire ego at the door, we're in trouble. Things changed when Chief took it over and absolutely made them believe that they were a great team mm-hmm. and put them together as a team. To, the dynamic this year when... Way, way different. It is. And, you know, prior to that comment, he was talking about how he was on the bench during a game and Jaden Schwartz and Braden Shen were just sitting there and he said they looked like they were in a daze. And he said the reason that it was a problem because these are the guys who have worked their tails off for this team for so long and they felt like the black sheep of the group because the Blues had all those new toys. Ryan O'Reilly, Tyler Bozak, Perron was back, the hometown hero, Pat Maroon. Like they had all of these pieces and everyone was excited about, but they didn't care about Shen Schwartz. And that was the problem then. It is the polar opposite right now. And Darren Pang talked about that, how this isn't a group of guys that have too big of an ego of thinking, oh, I'm better than this team. I should be getting more ice time. Right now, it looks like a group of guys that have a lost identity out there. Then it was a group of guys that knew how good they were, but they didn't come together as a team because it was a bunch of new faces. So that's where that that dynamic is different, in my opinion. And when he said that, it's like, man, that makes all the sense in the world because you got a group of guys right now who love playing together, are familiar with each other. Nobody feels like they're bigger than the other person. It's just a group of guys that look lost on the ice, and that was the biggest thing I could tell from the group, the team last night. They just didn't know what they were doing out there because I think it's just all of these faces that are trying to mesh together what they've done in the past. But 2019 was a different year where they had a group of guys who knew what they were doing, knew how good they could be. The message just was stale, and that's where the confidence came in from Barubi. See, that's kind of weird to me, though, because like O'Reilly, Perron, and if they wanted to, they could put Sanford on that line. Those guys have played together for a while. Schwartz, Shin, and like, yeah, it's Kairu, but they tried the Tarasenko thing, and that didn't work out, and those guys have a ton of experience together. You look at that third line. It's Robert Thomas and Ivan Barbashev, and there was a time when it was Jordan Cairo there as well. Those guys all have experience together. So I, I hear what he's saying, but I, I don't think it's the chemistry that's a problem for them now. I just, honestly, I think the thing that's most difficult for me with this team this year is I can't put my finger on what's gone wrong. I, I really can't because... I mean, we talked about the defensive issues early in the season. That was easy to explain, and you could look at the injuries. You could look at the guys that they've lost. I get all of that. That makes perfect sense. In terms of their lack of scoring, 
I can't explain it. The part for me, and Jamie would be able to discuss this better because obviously he's been in this scenario, but the part for me from, from talking with people and hearing the players in Craig Berube speak, the offense is suffering right now because they're trying to overcompensate in their own zone because they have a defensive issue. I mean, look, I know a lot of people are down on Tory Krug right now, but Tory Krug, Panger gave this great stat last night. In 2019, Tory Krug started 73% of his games in the offensive zone faceoffs. That was the most in the National Hockey League. Tory Krug is not a defenseman. Or not a, well, he's not defenseman. a defensive, a defensive defenseman. defenseman. Tory Krug is an offensive weapon, and he's not being able to play that way because the Blues don't have defensive defensemen. Justin Falk is your defensive defenseman. If Colton Pareko was 100% this season, I truly believe Tory Krug would be having a different year than what he's having right now for this Blues team. He's put in a poor situation. But the reason that the Blues are struggling defensively comes from in their own end, comes from turnovers, comes from inconsistent play in between the net. And, you know, I'm with curbs. I can't evaluate goaltenders because it is the most difficult position, I think, to play in all of pro sports. But the forwards aren't scoring goals because their focus is on stopping the puck in their own zone. And when you're trying to overcompensate there, you're doing too much and not playing your own game in the offensive zone, at least in my opinion. So speaking of those forwards, they are missing one guy in particular. We focus a lot on the fact that Bo Meester and Petrangelo and those guys are not back right now on the, the defensive pairings. I mean, it, you look around, it, it's like f- for a lot of the season, it was five of the six defensemen that were a big part of the Stanley Cup run were not a part of the defensive pairings this year. The forwards, though, they're without Alex Steen. And last night with you guys on the post game show, Darren Pang, I thought, gave a really good example of what Alex Steen meant to this team, why he was so important in particular on the bench and why he was so important for guys that maybe got out of line. And he'd stand there and you could hear him and hear him and make players accountable for a bad line change. Like, like what would you hear? Um, everything like better line changes. You're putting them in a bad spot. You're leaving your partner in a bad spot. The guy that's replacing you is in a bad spot. We're in a bad spot. Bad line change. You know, like get off the ice. You know, and uh, I used to watch certain players that lollygagged, and then I'd hear the bark, and then I hear a then there was a sprint for a line change. (laughs) I think we really are underestimating some of those leadership voices in the locker room this season. This was an awesome story from Panger because Steiner was this guy. He was the guy that was shouting at everyone unless they played their style. He was the one that held everybody accountable. And Jay Bomeister was another one. Jay Bomeister was a guy who never spoke. And Joey told the story of. Uh, a bad game in the regular season where the guys were all leaving the locker room because nobody wanted to speak to the media. And J-Bo, the, 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 the coaches told them that everyone stay in your locker, and guys started to mu- uh, muffle around, and J-Bo Meester stood up and said, everyone sit in their stall. And everyone was like, oh boy, J-Bo Meester just told us to do something, we better listen. They don't have, like, they have new voices now. And I really think that is an effect that we underestimated going into the season. Guys who have been here for a long period of time, like Petrangelo and Bomeister and Alexander Steen, these were voices. And Panger said, and Curbs agreed, I agree, Joey agreed, the only way this gets turned around is if the players take accountability for what's going on. You need somebody to do Alexander Steen. You need somebody to stand up, and, and we don't know if they have because we're not in the say, locker room. I think that they have because they had the players-only meeting. We've heard about that. They had the moment in California where the coaching staff went on the walk with Scandella. We've heard about that. Uh, but those we, are coaches doing it. 
No, you, the, the players had a players only meeting that they had reported on the broadcast. Like it, we we've been down this path and we've seen uh, how many games does Braden Shin need to light a fire under the team by fighting somebody, whether it be yeah. on the the opening draw or I just think it's more than just what's happening on the ice. I think it's it's stuff that has to happen in that locker room. And when you don't have those guys who can get everyone playing the same style it's tough to get the system on the ice. And I think they're lacking from those voices right now that are trying to figure out where their voices stand. Like this is new territory for Ryan O'Reilly being a captain, Braden Shen being a vocal person in the locker room in the past. That's not new for him. No, it's not new for him, but he wasn't the go-to guy. Petrangelo has been the go-to guy. Steen has been the go-to guy. You got new guys who are now the go-to voices in that room. And I think that's part of it right now is they're trying to figure out where this is at. Can I be honest with you? I think we're retrofitting a lot of things. I think we're saying that a lot of things are are happening and trying to explain the losses that way. I think the team's just not playing that well. I honestly, I, I'm not sure that it's a leadership void the way that we're trying to make it out to be. I think they're just, they're playing really poorly, man. And it's getting in their heads a little bit. And they seem to, you've mentioned this a few times, Bennington in particular, whenever he lets one in that he shouldn't have, you see the head drop, right? Mm -hmm. And they're just, they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. It looks like they're me watching a Missouri basketball game where it's like, hey, when is this going to go poorly? And you know, it's going to happen. And when it does, it escalates on you. It avalanches on itself eventually. And so what, whether it be us talking about uh, guys playing out of position or the chemistry or the health or the coaching or the leadership, like we've given a million different reasons as to why this season has gone off of the rails for the Blues. At the end of the day, they're just not playing up to expectations. Like, I, I think it might be that simple, and we're looking for reasons as to why. And so we retrofit it with the things that we think make the most sense from the outside looking in. And I don't know if that's always the case. I get it, but I, I've, I've been in that room when things are good. I've been in that room when things are bad. Now, not from a player's perspective, but from a media's perspective throughout an entire season. And I do think there are anomalies that go into a year that we feel like isn't as important as it truly is. But we haven't been in the room this year. No, we haven't. That's the thing is we just don't know what it's like in that locker room. But I'm going off of the feel from years past when things weren't well and you could tell things weren't well in the locker room. Now, I don't know if things aren't well in the locker room, but I do know that when you take away some impactful voices like that, it has an effect. And, you know, I laugh at it, but Curbs made a pretty interesting point too last night. He said, maybe the Blues just aren't a COVID team because maybe the blues are a team that benefits from being able to go out to dinner after games on the road or benefit from being able to get together at home or benefit from having 18 every teams th- that way but maybe they're not maybe every team isn't that way i don't know man this is why the season is so hard because you cannot put a finger on something as to why it's working and why it's not working. Yeah. It's not like, well, they're, this player is bad and this is why the season's gone this way. There are so many anomalies, and maybe that's just one of many that goes into a season that's confusing. They're an enigma. I don't understand them. I don't think I have an just explanation Just like the Missouri Tigers. Maybe Jeremy Rutherford does. He's our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. Let's ask him. If he had to put his finger on it, what is the number one reason why this team has fallen short of expectations this year? We'll ask JR that next on 101. ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. 
It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're looking for answers, and there's only one way we can get them on this Blues team, and it is by going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to talk with our Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford. You can find his work over at The Athletic. He had a great piece earlier today on Colton Pareko's return to the lineup. JR, uh, what a perfect birthday celebration last night, right? <laughs> it was great. What a fun night. <laughs> well, JR, what, what the hell? I'm just going to leave it, it open in. Yeah. What, what the hell, JR? What What do I make of this team now? Like, I, I gave them another opportunity. I wanted to see what they could do against the Avalanche and then against the Vegas Golden Knights. But what what do we make of this team at this point? Also, who do you think you are? I am. <laughs> yeah, first of all, I got to tell you guys, uh, I don't know if you can read minds or what, but uh, I was listening to the show and uh, I was typing up a couple websites to find out where the blues were in the standings in 2018 when they traded Paul Stastny and BK, you said, uh, I wonder where they were at in the standings uh, in 2018 when they traded Paul Stastny. So uh, anyway, I was looking that up and they were just one point out of a wild card spot. Um, At that time, there was 19 games left to play. Uh, They had lost, I believe it was uh, six games in a row leading up to the trade deadline and get this, this is so uh, you know, similar to this year is they had been shut out in back-to-back games leading up to the deadline. And they only had three goals in the four games leading up to the deadline. Wow. And so between the losing streak and the lack of scoring, very similar to this year. And uh, so why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because the trade deadline is next Monday and Doug Armstrong's got a question on his hands, what to do. And they're, you know, now behind the Arizona Coyotes and technically the San Jose Sharks in the standings. And it's a situation where I'm going back and reading Doug Armstrong's comments from that year. And he said, look, I've got to be responsible here and decide what I think about my team, what its chances are, and then see if I need to make some moves and and trade some assets. Of course, he did trade Paul Stastny at the deadline. He gets a first-round pick. That turns into Dominic Bach, who then turns into Justin Falk. So you can see how the dominoes fall in terms of using that pick down the line. But I got to believe right now that Doug Armstrong and the St. and the St. Louis blues are sellers. Uh, that's the same situation we saw in 2018. I believe they're going to make a couple moves and you guys talked about it earlier. How many veterans I do think there's going to be one or two leave this team. Uh, but, but here's my thing with that JR. Then I, I mean, can, what can you realistically get for some of these assets? Unless you are willing to move on from Jaden Schwartz, which would warrant you a pretty good haul on the back end of that. No, there's no Taylor Hall pun there. So don't think it, don't read into that. But like, I don't believe Mike Hoffman gets you a first-round draft pick like Paul Stastny did. I don't think Vince Dunn or Zach Sanford gets you a first-round draft pick like Paul Stastny did. No, you're right, uh, but I do think that uh, there, there's just different circumstances for why you uh, make trades. In, in 2018, you could get a first-round draft pick for Paul Stastny, so of course you do it. But Mike Hoffman's not going to be back with this team next season. What's he going to do for you, you know, the final 15 games of, of the year? And even if you get a second-round pick, heck, if you get a third-round pick for Mike Hoffman, he's just not doing you any good on a team that's likely to miss the playoffs. And even if he's here, you know, has he been helping that much uh, lately? And then you look at some of these other players, a Tyler Bozak. I don't know, honestly, if there's a market for a Tyler Bozak coming off a concussion, $5 million contract. You know, right now he's playing a fourth-line center. Good player, but to playoff contending teams, you know, have $5 million, albeit prorated, 
to fit Tyler Bozak on their roster. I'm, I'm not quite sure about that one. The big one that you could get uh, some some assets back for uh, is a Jaden Schwartz. But Doug Armstrong has said routinely that uh, he wants to re-sign Jaden Schwartz. And, and most recently, it's been a couple months, granted, uh, but he's a big Jane Schwartz fan, as is Craig Berube. So what would it take? Are you going to lock yourself into another five, six-year deal for six and a half, seven million dollars $7 That's the question he has to, to answer. Um, the only context I can put on this right now is I would be surprised if they uh, traded Jane Schwartz at the deadline. Making some phone calls, I'd be surprised if they traded Jane Schwartz. That's interesting, Jr. because I, I think, and you, I'm curious to hear your response on this because – I think they have to make a decision now on whether or not they're going to re-sign Jaden Schwartz. Because if you're going to, then it makes all the sense in the world to keep him, to make sure that you're not exposing him in the expansion draft, and then you get the deal done and he's back with the Blues moving forward. But if you've got some questions on that, and if if you've got, I think, reasonable questions about the fact that he scored two goals so far this year in 23 games, um, and he hasn't been the bastion of health, unfortunately, for a large part of his time here in St. Louis. If you got questions about whether or not you're going to bring him back, I, I think you almost have to at least explore the opportunity to get something from him. So do you think that them not trading him at the deadline, can, can we read into that, that there's going to get a deal done? Yeah, I think you, you have to think about that. I do think that that would be uh, the Blues thinking here is you'd have to get something done with him prior to the deadline because this isn't a situation where you're holding on to a, a David Backus through the trade deadline, even if you're going to lose him because um, he's going to help you the last month or two of the season and, and help you win a couple playoff series. And there's been a couple players like that over the last few years. This is a team that, that may not make the playoffs. So, yeah, certainly you want to make sure that uh, if you want to re-sign Jaden Schwartz, you got him in the fold. Are they close to a deal? Uh, not that I'm aware of at this point. Obviously, you still have uh, you know five or six days before uh, the trade deadline, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, you're absolutely right. And, and furthermore, you know, adding to that is once you sign Jordan Bennington to the six-year 36, you already have Braden Shen, Justin Falk, Tory Krug locked up to these long-term deals at not you know in, you know crazy money but good money right and if you sign Jaden Schwartz to a similar type of deal you're not going to have much wiggle room to to do anything significant with this team for the next couple of years because the cap's not going to go up you're going to be right there at the cap. I know that you got a Bozak coming off. I know that, you know, Gunnarsson's going to come off. You know, Steen won't be there anymore. Uh, but you're going to be tight up against the cap. So any, you know, kind of massaging you could do to this roster and change it from currently what we see, uh, you know, I think is going to be lesser players, whether it be bottom uh, bottom six forwards or, you know, second and third pair D because they've got their guys right now. So to me, that's the biggest question when deciding – uh, to re-sign Jaden Schwartz. Is he your guy? If he is, great. If he's not, and you lock him up to that six-year, seven, $7.5 million deal, it's going to be difficult to, to make this roster look any different than it is. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, JR, and it kind of brings me to the next guy that we've talked a little bit about here and there, and I'm not sure you could even trade him right now, given the injury status, but what about Vladimir Tarasenko? Do they consider you know, trying to see what's out there for him? Well, you'll have to read the athletic tomorrow because I'm going to write uh, who's staying and who's going. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I am going to, it, <laughs> I'm going to break it down, and uh, I can I can tell you that uh, Vladisenko is going to be mentioned in, in this article. Who stays and who goes? And and I do think 
that the Blues have to explore the option. Now he's got a trade, a no trade clause. You know, he's talked about that he doesn't want to go anywhere. Um, but uh, with with Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly, they each got a couple more years left on their contract at seven point five million dollars. You couldn't trade Tarasenko when he was hurt. Can you trade him now? Has he getting back on the ice? Has that shown teams? Um, that uh, you know he can play at the very least. It, it probably does. So could you get something for him? I, I guess you could, but as you watch him play, you know he hasn't been that productive, and so you're probably not going to get uh, some sort of return that, that you have in mind. Uh, but I would think that as Doug Armstrong explores all of his options to try to make this roster look different for next season, whereas in the past couple of years, you wouldn't dream of, of probably trading Vladimir Tarasenko and I'm talking pre-second and third shoulder operations, now I think you at least entertain that idea. JR, final one from me. What do you think the Stanley Cup window looks like that Doug Armstrong said was about a five-year window a couple of years ago? Well, you know, I, I think it's still there, and, and people are going to think I'm crazy. You know, I still think they're a good team, and I know you guys have been trying to put your finger on it, as we all have, you know, for a month or so here. Um, you know, we probably don't have enough time to get deep into this, uh, but I just think it's 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 a combined group of things. I mean, you're talking about uh, losing your captain. Okay, now you got a new leadership. You got a new captain. Now you have a, a different type of defense than you've used to been winning with uh, the past couple of years. You have Jordan Bennington, who's trying to prove himself for a contract, gets off to a good start, and then gets a little shaky. And then you have all these injuries. Hey, look, I'm not going to be the guy to say that injuries are an excuse. It's not an excuse you got to play well. The Blues did for a while, and, and then they didn't. So I think you bring all these things together, and you got what you got now. But that doesn't mean that, you know, if you didn't have these injuries and you got some good play out of Jordan Bennington and, and, and you know, Vladimir Tarasenko didn't have that, that third shoulder surgery and he continued to be the 30-goal scorer he is, you know, this team can be a good team. They really can. But all the circumstances that uh, they've brought on themselves – and the cards that they've been dealt have put themselves in a situation where there's just absolutely no confidence and everybody's ready to break up the group. Look, I get it. I just think deep down in there, there can be a good team with a few moves, but you know, they've shown in the past couple of weeks that uh, as assembled with who they have right now, they're just not a good hockey team. So change is definitely warranted. I just think that, uh, you know, the car went down a couple different roads this year, and this is what it led to. JR, looking forward to the piece tomorrow on who stays, who goes. People can find that over on The Athletic. They can also follow you on Twitter for the link at JP Rutherford. Always appreciate the time, my man. Looking forward to talking with you again next week. Yep, anytime, guys. Thanks. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on 101 ESPN. I thought that what he said there to cap things off is is probably the best way to put it. Like, this might not have gone the same way if this team was fully healthy. If you ended up, if Sonny didn't go down, maybe this looks a little bit differently right now. If instead of having him for a portion of the season, if you had Jaden Schwartz for the entire season, maybe things look a little differently. If Colton Pareko didn't have a back injury that's kept him out for the majority of the year, maybe we're talking about the Blues differently. All of... The injuries have almost become like put on the back burner because guys are out there right now. And people don't want to hear it because it's still an excuse. Like sure. it or not, from a fan's perspective, and I understand it's an excuse. But from a player's perspective and a team perspective, it's real. It affected this team because they were 9-4-2 and two before Colton Pareko went down. And as soon as Pareko went down, 
everyone else's fault. Yeah, it was that, that was everyone else's fault. That Yikes. was if you're playing a Jenga game, right? That was the piece that made the whole the whole yep. tower tumble. And That's where it all started. We we talked before the season for the Cardinals. Who's the most indispensable Cardinals player? Well, I think we learned this year who the most indispensable Blues player is. And uh, we didn't have to learn it with Ryan O'Reilly and knock on what hopefully we never do. But we, we found out when Colton Pareko is not in the lineup, yeah. this team really struggles. And they needed him to be at 100%. And it doesn't seem like he, he ever was at 100%. And I'm not sure he's ever going to be this year at 100%. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Talk about a guy that's indispensable. Tommy Edmond is making good on the Cardinals' big bet. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The 2-2 hit down the right field line. Fair and gone. Home run, Tommy Edmond. His first of 2021. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was the call last night as Tommy Edmond put a solo homer on the board. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Guys, I questioned the decision to move on from Colton Wong in the offseason. But- and you told me I was an idiot, and I didn't appreciate that. Don't remember using that specific language. You said that though. Yeah, yeah. You, you did. I didn't like it. I kind questioned the move. I thought that when you've got Colton Wong, who's a Gold Glover, who's been a really good leadoff hitter throughout his career, you just keep that guy, whether it be twelve and a half million dollars or whatever. You just for the next year, you keep him on your roster. Well, the Cardinals made a big bet with Tommy Edmond, and we are very early in this season. We're just four games in, but so far. I'm not sure how you could be any more impressed with what he's doing. Defensively, he's been fantastic. He's already made a couple of great plays where it's like, oh, that's a play Colton Long would make. And I don't think there's been a single play where he didn't make it, where I would have been like, oh, yeah, you know, Colton Long would have made that play right there. So you're not missing a ton from that perspective. And then at the plate, he's been pretty good so far. You'd like to see the average take a tip tick up, but he's been walking more than I would have expected previously. You saw the power last night. Tommy Edmonds off to a really good start. And if you were looking for certain things that could go in a positive way for the Cardinals, this is a big one because now you feel like you've got your lead off. Did, did I read this correctly? He has not struck out yet this season. That's correct. That right there. I'm fine with everything that the Cardinals decided to move. I wasn't concerned about Tommy Edmonds defense at second base because we've seen him at third base. You were steadfast on that. And I got to give you credit for it. We saw him at third base. Now I know it didn't look great last season, but just a weird season in general. But in 2019, he was awesome at third base. So I knew that that was going to be a solid area. It was a matter of, can he hit and can he be the leadoff hitter that the Cardinals haven't had? Like they need a guy who can get on base. And I know the on base percentage may not be great right now, but He's shown the ability to hit power, which Colton Wong could do for the Cardinals. Hopefully, Tommy Edmond can do that a little bit more consistently. But you got to be pleased by the fact that he is driving the baseball, right? Like, it's just, it's a matter of time before he starts to make contact and get on base. And we're going to be seeing shades of Matt Carpenter in 2015, 2016 when he was hitting doubles. Like, that's what I feel like the ceiling is for Tommy Edmond. And to get there, it's just a matter of letting the season play out. But defensively, he's been everything for this team. Yeah, defensively, he's been great. I I wouldn't mind seeing, and again, it's four games, as you mentioned, BK, so you can't jump on anything really too much too soon. But I I, want to see him a little bit more aggressive at the plate 
just because he's got Goldie behind him, and I think pitchers are going to pitch to him more. I could be wrong because he does have three walks so far on the season. He's but, swinging so far 16% of the time on the first pitch. So I'd like to get him, see yeah, him be so a little bit more aggressive, aggressive on that one. I yeah. want to see him a little more aggressive just because we saw what he did in spring. Spring, he was aggressive and he was getting on base. The average was, I think, above 330 when spring came to an end. And I... And I know we kind of talked behind the scenes about, oh, what's well, kind of a bold prediction? I said, well, if Tommy Edmonds got Goldie behind him, he could become a guy that hits 300, be on base, and could arguably be an all-star. So I want to see him a little bit more aggressive at the plate. But yeah, like you guys have said, he's been everything that we kind of expected, if not a little bit more, and it really takes away from losing Colton Wong in the offseason. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Well, guys, if Tommy hits a home run every four games, he's going to end up hitting 40 on the season. I don't think he's got that, but That's would you guys math, be though. shocked if he ends up, <laughs> if he ends up with like 15 homers this year? Like, he's got that kind of power. He's got the 20 potential. I, I honestly, 20 yeah. in a season, I think he has the potential. If He's been close to it. Uh, his first season, he what, hit like 12, 13? Yeah, I think he's easily 15 to 20 homer. Him and Dylan Carlson, to me, are kind of similar in terms of the power. Carlson maybe a little, projects for more down the road. But like right now, I think they're kind of similar. Mostly, I think they're doubles, gap-to-gap power, like you said mm-hmm. earlier, uh, Alex. But... He's he's shown you what you needed to see. The big thing, like you said, was he has zero strikeouts so far this year. He is showing you a little bit of that power. He's walking at a decent rate already. I like what we've seen so far from Tommy Edmond, and it makes me feel really good, especially in that first inning, as we saw once again yesterday, one, two, three in the lineup. Now, there is a flip side to this. There's always a flip side with you. John Mosellock in the offseason, this was coming into um, the regular season, if I'm not mistaken, right at the end of spring training. He was asked about the difference in the Cardinals lineup this year compared to last. You know, as you look at how this lineup was constructed, I think it shows you the depth of it. And, you know, more importantly, I, I hope it shows you the impact those outfielders are going to make on this lineup. So, um, you know, that's something we'll all see over time. But that's what we're hoping for. I'm hoping for it as well, because early on, we have not seen that. In their last three games, and again, super small sample size, but let's keep an eye on this. Dylan Carlson, 0 for 8 with a walk, hit by pitch, and two strikeouts. Austin Dean, 0 for 6 in in the early start to the season, four strikeouts in those six uh, at-bats. Tyler O'Neill in his last three games, 2 for 12 with six strikeouts, and Justin Williams now on the year, 0 for 9 with 5Ks. He had four batted balls in the first game of the season, has not put a ball in play since that opening day game. This is something worth watching because the Cardinals lineup this year, the success or failures from it, will largely be determined by the players that are in your outfield. We like what you've got, especially on the corners in the infield. I think Tommy Edmonds going to be a really good leadoff hitter for him. It's going to come down to Carlson, O'Neal, and really one of those other guys. If they can contribute offensively, that's how this lineup gets going. Uh, I'm not even looking at right field until that's Bader or Lane Thomas. Uh, on, uh, we, I kind of have learned with Justin Williams, and I get it. It's been you guys two games. Harrison Bader a little more now. You excited to see Bader when he comes back? Now that we've seen what the other options you are, how we both hesitated yeah, to look at each other. You and tricked went, eh. me. You, as my five-year-old niece would say, you tricked me. So we're excited about the Harrison Bader return, I'm right? More excited no. about John Nagowski getting a start. But I'm done with right field. Uh, like, I saw what I needed to, and I get it. It's been two games with Justin Williams, but I saw it. Now let's figure out what the other two guys are. Carlson, I'm still not worried about. Tyler O'Neill. It hasn't been great, but it hasn't been great against some of the younger pitchers. And Tyler O'Neill's best game this season was against Luis Castillo. So, like, if, if I'm going to be positive about something, it's the fact that that will fix itself. 
Um, but no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not buying in anymore on this right field situation. I'm not worried about Tyler O'Neill at all yet. Um, Tyler O'Neill has struck out in 50% of his plate appearances Whoa. over the last that, three games. Okay. Well, don't don't say you're not worrying, and then that. That's going to happen with him. We just have to accept the fact that there's going to be three game spurts where he strikes out six to eight times. And, and and you live with it because there is also the power potential that we have already seen early in the year. Tyler O'Neill's not worrisome for me. The right field situation, very much more so worrisome. I was, I was thinking of this a little bit last night. It almost feels like we got a little bit uh, overhyped with Tyler O'Neill in spring. Maybe not overhyped is the right word, but and in his spring training, he was just hitting the ball like, yeah, he's going to be that on-base machine, but in reality, it was like, no, you know, this is Tyler O'Neill. There are going to be those stretches that you talked about where he strikes out a lot, hopefully not the 50% mark in his at-bats, but I think spring training kind of put a little bit of this different twist of Tyler O'Neill. We thought, oh, now he's a contact hitter. No, he's still swinging for the fences. He's going to strike out. He's just having to put a lot of barrel to ball in spring training. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of strikeouts with Tyler O'Neill out there, and that's something you have to accept. He's probably, I think, when we get later on into the season, Tyler O'Neill hopefully will be your six-hole hitter. <laughs> and that's what you that's what you live with. From the 314, we have to give Dean more time. He took good at bats last night. He was calm, wasn't wild swinging, just needs time. Come on, hot take, BK. He struck out three times. Austin Dean was very much wild swinging up there. That, that dude was swinging for I the wanted, fences. I wanted Matt Carpenter when I was watching Austin Dean hit. It's just... It, Woof. <laughs> Amen, I, brother. I think that Justin Williams and Austin Dean both deserve the next week or so. And let's find out what it looks like. Give them consistent opportunities for two weeks in this lineup. If they fail, it's Lane Thomas time. I, I don't need Austin Dean. Give me Justin Williams. I'm with you there. But Justin Williams isn't going to hit lefties. Well, they, you know what? Made that. That, they they have it told to you that. But give it to him. Yeah, they're not going to do that. I don't, what do we need to see from Austin Dean? Like, do we really need to sit here and say, well, Austin Dean could be one of the Cardinals platoon players? The Cardinals have made it known. We want to find out what these young guys can do. I don't think Austin Dean's a part of their future, but the Cardinals would like to find out, and so they're going to give him a quick opportunity while they have the spot available. It's a terrible take, BK. I would rather see John Nagowski give those opportunities. We all know that's not how it's, it's going to work. unpopular with opinion. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Nothing new for me. The junk drawer is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. So have you guys seen the Aaron Rodgers news over the last couple of days? I, I've been hearing so many people. Andrew Marsh, who runs a board for us on Blues Game, was asking me last night, have you seen this Aaron Rodgers thing? So no, what happened? So Aaron Rodgers is hosting um, Jeopardy over the next two weeks. Saw they, that. They filmed this a few months ago, and they film all of them over the course of a couple of days, and now they're releasing all of the guest hosts over the next uh, a few months, right, to be able to figure out, okay, who is going to take over for Trebek? Aaron Rodgers, his lifelong dream apparently has been to host Jeopardy, and he would like to do so while he continues being an NFL player. Well, yesterday, during the final trivia, he asked the question, and one of the contestants decided to troll him with his answer. Scott, did you come up with the correct response? Who wanted to kick that field goal? <laughs> That is a great question. Should, should be should be correct, but uh, unfortunately for this uh, this game today, that's incorrect. 
So, of course, talking about in the playoffs, the yep. decision to to kick the field goal. Taking a shot at Matt LaFleur. Yeah. So, I loved that. I have not watched the full episode yet, but from what I've heard, it seems like he's actually doing pretty well on Jeopardy. Well, he's great in State Farm commercials. He can do Jeopardy. Well, he he also has a great hairdo for Jeopardy. Have you seen that slick back look? It's uh, true. Yeah. He, did you see? He's got like a man bun going on right now. It ain't great, man. It, Why do you hate man buns, yeah, BK? I got no issue with man buns. Oh, His does yeah. not look good. It's not a great look for him. Danica Patrick Ferrari. thought it did. Yeah. What do you guys think is the more prominent position? Quarterback of the Green Bay Packers or host of Jeopardy? Host of Jeopardy. More sought after oh, position. I I, who I who are gonna, you talking more about that. in their career? Brett Favre or Alex Trebek? I was talking about Brett Favre, but... I was talking about Alex Trebek. That man is a legend. Was a legend. R.I.P. I think you can make a pretty strong case that the one that appeals to the largest number of people is, is, Jeopardy. is Jeopardy. Which is kind of wild to think about because like, we're in the sports lane, right? And you're like, why would Aaron Rodgers maybe quit playing football where he is one of the best to ever do it to go be the host of Jeopardy? And then you think about it a little more. You're like... Yeah, that kind of makes sense, actually. I've always wanted to be a game show host. Like, other really? than host really? radio, talk sports radio, I, I'm i obsessed with the game show What network. is your favorite game show? Uh, oh, that's a tough one because there's a ton of them. Uh, there's a show on the game show network called America Says, which is kind of like a spinoff of Family of Feud. I don't know if I know oh, that Oh, it's one. phenomenal. Family that Feud's one, great. Family, family Feud, Feud, I love Deal or No Deal. It's great. I'm yeah. obsessed but with. Deal or No Deal has like very little in terms of the actual strategy. Yeah, but it's the hosting part of it. Sure, That's okay. the part that I love, right? Like being able to host a game show. They used to have one where you'd have to finish the lyric. That was another fun one. Like if I had the possibility, and I love sports talk radio, but if I could do a game show like Aaron Rodgers, oh yeah, I would jump at that opportunity. If you could host anyone, what would you what would you want to? Like if you could be the if I said Alex Ferrario, your dream has been granted. I gave you three wishes and you actually only ended up getting to use one. Oh, and now unfair. you get to host whichever yeah, what happened game? to my other two wishes. <laughs> They're gone. Damn. Uh, one of them you wish me to be free. Um <laughs> one of your wishes. Aladdin reference. Oh, another Disney? I don't have the music ready. <laughs> to, host, to host any game show that you would like, what would you go with? You only get to do one. Okay. Who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah. That that is that is an easy one for me. Who wants to be a millionaire? Used yeah. to watch that all the time. I think I would do Family Feud. Really? Yeah. I, I could actually see Tanner hosting Family yeah. Feud. The problem is though, Steve Harvey has ruined that for everyone. Because like anybody who tries to do Family Feud, you're never Steve Harvey. Yeah. Like, I think I can outdo Regis Philbin on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. I don't think you could. Regis is great, Regis man. was great. God, I love you, well, Regis. <laughs> a lot, a lot of them are Regis. gone today. You know another one, good one? The Newlywed Game. Have you ever watched that game show? I have not. So oh, I watched, my God. It's going to surprise you guys. I watched a lot of MTV growing up. Um, so some of the <laughs> some of the hosts of those dating games, I've seen a lot of that. Oh yeah, what was the go? What was the show where they used to send people girls into guys' uh, bedrooms? Room Raiders. Oh, that was a good show. <laughs> Room Raiders was great. I used to watch MTV a lot. Next too. was a good one. Next, um, I watch a lot of Big Brother. If I could host that, I would take over that yeah. job in a second. That would be tremendous. The host of The Bachelor. I know it's not a game show, but his job that'd be fun too. I, actually, I think I've changed. Room. I don't know if this. Was, I consider it a game show, but like Wipeout, I would want to watch sure. that just because I can watch people go, 
Gosh, I could definitely do the big balls. See, but oh yeah, that guy. Nope, no shot. To Look tie at him it go. back, in, Ninja Warrior, like, oh, yeah. like that. To tie it back into Aaron Rodgers, if he does do that job permanently down the road, I hope they don't leave it as dry as he was. Because Aaron Rodgers is really funny. Like he's got dry humor. Let him be Aaron Rodgers rather than be this uptight person, you know? Somebody says the price is right would be a good one to host. That <gasps> that is a good one. But but you can never be, you can never outdo yeah. Bob Barker. You know, even Drew Carey, who's great at it, you can never do out Bark uh, can never do out Bob Barker. Outdo. Can never you outdo. Close. Thank you. Oh, that's a good one. Fear Factor. I was about to say, we don't do Fear Factor anymore, no, right? That's gone now. That used to be like Scheduled television. Really? really? Joe yeah. Rogan wow. used to host it. It was scheduled. It was amazing. It was appointment television for me and my family when I was younger. Yeah, it was canceled after 2012. Oh, it revived in 2017 with Ludacris as the yeah, host. Yeah, it wasn't good. It only lasted for like a season or what. Tanner, this was, you got it. I don't Go know back if it's available em. on any streaming services. Fear Factor was incredible. There would be people. It was basically Alex's worst nightmare in every episode. It was. There were people that would like have to lay in with a box snakes. with snakes. Oh, no, that's not. I'm not eat watching like that. Spiders. They had to eat like, like raw cow I'm not, hearts. I'm not big on watching uh, game shows. So like, eh. Fear Factor was tremendous. Fear Factor was great. And there would be like, there would be seasons where you've got. Like families that are mm-hmm. pairing up to be able to make it towards it. It was great. Someone it said, almost became Survivor, but with fear. Someone said, <laughs> "Isn't that what Survivor's fear. kind of built off of now?" Someone said Bob Newbanks is the best game show host. No, I I would argue Richard Dawson is the best game show host. That man just would kiss everyone in attendance. Just with walk Alex around. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, I think I have a tinfoil theory, Alex. Oh boy, stay away from my stuff. I will share it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So I know the tinfoil thing is kind of Alex's thing. You got tinfoil Ferrario here with me. It's our thing, buddy. It's yours, but do you mind if you share it with me here for a moment today? This isn't BK and company. This is BK and Ferrario. We're teammates here. Not yet, buddy. Give it some time. We'll get there. BK, if this goes BK and company. All right, Tanner, do we have some tinfoil music that we could put on for us today? You bet we do. So it was announced right before the game last night that the Blues had made the decision to activate Colton Pareko from the long-term IR. Woke up from my nap, thought I was in the X-Files. And I was thinking to myself, well, why would they do such a thing? He's barely been skating. I heard Jeremy Rutherford on with the fast lane yesterday, and they asked him the question straight up, when do you think Pareko will be back? And he says, guys, I can't even speculate on when he'll be back because I haven't seen him do anything that would resemble a real game-like atmosphere. He's like, so when will he be back? I don't know, but it's not close based on what I've seen on the ice. So that's what I assumed would be the case. And then three hours later, he's activated from IR. He's back into the lineup for the Blues. And I was asking myself, why would they do such a thing? Guys, I think I have a theory. If I had to speculate, and this is pure speculation as to why they decided to do this. It's a safe place. I think Doug Armstrong had a talk with Colton Pareko and was like, hey, based on all of the information that we have at hand, you're not going to make this injury worse by playing. And Pareko was clearly okay with the fact that, okay, if if we're not going to make this worse, I would love to get out there and try to help my team. 
I think the biggest reason why he's back on the ice is because this is their last last gasp effort at seeing what the club looks like at 100% before the deadline. And they need to know with Pareko out there, does he make all of the difference? Is he enough for the Blues to look like a contender again? If the answer to that is no, then they're going to sell off pieces at the deadline. If the answer was yes, and I think we've already seen indications that the answer is no. If the answer was yes, and they got back on track and they went on a winning streak right before the deadline, maybe then they decide to potentially add. Army told us at the 2018 deadline, the, t- the club told me what I needed to do, and I decided to sell because they lost six straight going into the deadline. I think he was looking for them to do that once more this year with Pareko back in the lineup. I think that's why we saw him last night. First of all, great tinfoil take. Second of all, we need a longer tinfoil bed. <laughs> no kidding. We need a long one on that. Or we need me to be less long-winded. No, no, no. You got you to spend your time on tinfoil. No, I, I think you're spot on with this. I... The, the part for me that I would differentiate with you on BK is uh, if you're bringing Pareko back, there's no way that you can evaluate his performance and say, can he help our team? Because you know he's not 100%. I think this is what you're going to get from Pareko. I, I do too. Now, I don't think he was bad. If you go, he was very timid on the ice, but he picked it up towards the end. But if you go to that first period... It was Max Pacioretty who had a break, two-on-one. Pareko used his speed to get back, and he locked up Pacioretty. Pareko's not using his size to check. He's using his stick to work. And I think that's where Colton Pareko's asset is, whether he's 50%, 60%, or 100%. That's where he's at most uh, lethal. But getting him back isn't going to give you a true evaluation. Just like getting Tarasenko back, you're not going to get a true evaluation. But this is all they got. This is all they got. So that's why I am with you on this. I, the only reason he played last night is because he has been practicing for probably three weeks now. And we don't know when the team is away what his practices look like. We only know when the team is here and the media can report on it what it looks like. He could be doing extra work when they were on the road. He could be doing extra work really early before the other team takes the ice and then he joins them. But Perron said it on the morning show with Carriker and Smallman that he walked in to the locker room and Pareko was there and he's like, whoa, what the hell are you doing here? So I don't think anybody knew other than Pareko, but your tinfoil, that that would be where I was at that they told him this isn't going to improve with rust. This isn't going to get any worse if you get a big check in the middle of the game and you go down. So Pareko said, you know what? Let's put it out there on the ice. Let's test it. See how I look. We'll adjust in the offseason, and hopefully I can help my team. After the game, Craig Berube was asked about the decision to put Pareko back in the lineup, and he gave a very short, very direct answer. Well, he was going to let us know when he was ready, and he said he was ready to play tonight. So that's why he was out there. Perfect. He was also asked to assess (laughs) Colton Pareko's performance and once again gave a very short, very direct answer. Good. Just okay. I mean, it was tough. It's a long time he's been out. It's a tough game. Um, You know, I thought he looked pretty good early. Okay. Oh, thank you very much, Craig. From the 3-1-4 on the ice for three goals against, directly responsible for two of them, JR said he was terrible too. I didn't think he was great last night. But I, I don't be think he was terrible him. because no. you can't look at him and say, oh, he's awful because he's not the same guy. And I think for a guy who had missed 21 games this season, might still be dealing with a back problem. He was helpful at times. He wasn't himself, but who is themselves after you've been out for as many times as long as you have? No, nobody should have expected him to be 100% Colton Pareko. I don't expect him to be that. I don't think anybody should the rest of the year. 
This is the Colton Pareko that we have right now. And is he hurt? Yeah, absolutely. Is he injured? It does not appear to be so. Otherwise, they wouldn't be playing him right now. But he's at least hurt. And so when you have a guy that is at, what, 50-60% maybe capacity right now, I think they needed to find out what does that do for our lineup? Does that change the trajectory of the team by having him on the ice for 19 minutes as opposed to one of the other defensemen that's in our system on the ice for those minutes? The answer last night was basically no. It was the same results that you would have had with some of those other guys. Now, it came about differently. Pareko plays differently. He's bigger. He brings size to the lineup that you don't have with the other guys. But the end result was you losing 6-1 to one against the Vegas Golden Knights, which is kind of what we've had for much of the season. And so if you're in Doug Armstrong's shoes, now at least I know. I have answers. I will have more answers over the next week or so as we lead up into the trade deadline as to what he brings to the lineup and what my team looks like. It's at 100% right now. There's nobody else that can come back that is not back. So as much as it stinks, I get that you're not seeing the full version of him. This is the version that you've got for the rest of the year. I, and I don't know anything about this scenario. We don't know what the injury is. But look, if if they do go the route that Jr. talked about of selling pieces because they feel that this team can't perform in the postseason, my personal opinion, I would shut Pareko down for the rest of the year. Because I agree. if you want to be competitive next year and you want this cup window to be wide open – you need him at 100%. So I would not let Pareko play the rest of the season if that's the direction you're going to go. Again, I still feel like there's potential to make the postseason. You're five points out of it. But if you go that way, then I would shut him down and I would make sure that he is 100% for next year because you need him. Totally agree with everything you just said. I think the Blues are looking at the deadline as a true deadline for them this year. And if we're going to go down, we're going down swinging with all of our best guys in the lineup. So Mike Hoffman, yeah, you were put down. You were put aside. You were a healthy scratch. We need you. He was put down? <laughs> we need you. What did I miss? <laughs> Hoffman was not put down. He, he, he was a healthy scratch. Why'd you point up? <laughs> He's not with the Angels. Um, he might end up being with the Sabres. But um, that might be worse. That might be worse. <laughs> Mike Hoffman was a healthy scratch, and now they know they need him, so he's back in the lineup every night. Uh, Sanford has not been at his best, but they need him, and he's on the fourth line last night. Like These guys that have not performed up to their standards, they've still got to put him out there because if we're going to fail leading into the trade deadline, we're going to fail with our best guys on the ice, and that's why Colton Pareko was out there last night. That's why I think you're going to continue seeing him over the next, what is it, six days before the deadline. This team needs to find out some of those answers. He's the last piece that can give them indications of the puzzle. And I think that what we're finding out here is everything is trending in the same direction. It looks to me much less like 2019 and a lot more like 2018 when they sold at the deadline because they were a little bit out of it. And they lost six straight right before the trade deadline. They ended up trading Paul Stasny. I think you're going to see something similar this year. At the you deadline. could even go to the year prior to that when they traded Kevin Chattenkirk away. Sure. I mean, it was the same thing. They I, bought and sold that year, didn't they? Did they add somebody I don't remember the who they did. I mistaken. thought that was just moving Kevin Chattenkirk because they got Zach Sanford back in it. But you'll have to look that up. But while you're searching for that, I'll say this. As much as we, we say the evaluation period and that deadline is Monday, and I think Doug Armstrong already has his mind made up. I don't think anything can change unless this team goes on a three-game win streak. As much as we'll evaluate this team tomorrow against Vegas, the games that are more impactful are on Friday and Saturday. 
because those are the two games against the team that you can still catch. And that's the team that I still think Doug Armstrong would look at and say they're right on par with us, the Minnesota Wild. I'm not worried about Colorado and Vegas because those teams are different entities right now. Minnesota is my evaluation of, okay, it's time to sell or let's see if they can make a run. Yeah, I was thinking of the the fact that they got Sanford in that deal. So they kind of it, it, it was, as a hockey yeah. Trade. I mean, it wasn't the, the the trade of getting a first round draft pick, but Sanford wasn't going to help them right away. He was a future asset. It's one fifteen, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, we had a big deal in the NFL yesterday. It's probably the last significant quarterback move that's gonna happen, and it's gonna spur one more move. We'll talk about it next on one oh one ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Omaha! Omaha! We have to call an audible. We're going to talk about the Panthers making a big trade, deciding to go with uh, Sam Darnold, what that means for Deshaun Watson, what it will mean for Teddy Bridgewater. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Yeah, who cares? You know? Darnold stinks anyway. Who cares? We're not going to play the lineup game. That is trademarked by the fast lane. We do have to talk about they the lineup game. Trademark I hope they're not listening. Don't, don't spoil it for them. So this is a spinoff of the lineup game. Oh, is it? Is called the, lineup jeopardy is it the batting order game <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is like hey cheat off my paper for homework but make it look different alex who do you think is leading off for the cardinals today matt carpenter nope oh, wow, alex who do you think is this. leading off for the cardinals today tommy edmund where do you think tommy edmund is playing today center field nope right field Tommy Edmond is leading off and playing in right field for the Cardinals today. I would have nailed this if you wouldn't have confused me as hell in that commercial break because I said it and you looked at me like, nope, let's keep going. The the game's not over. Who do you think's batting second for the Cardinals today? This is Matt Carpenter at second base. You want to try again? It can't be Goldschmidt Arenado still. 2-3. It is Goldie Arnado. They're uh, they're playing their usual positions. Who do you think is oh, batting cleanup? I'm supposed for the to be, I'm today? supposed to be doing Jeopardy with this. Oh, um, who is Paul DeYoung? Who do you think is batting fifth for the Cardinals today? Who is Tyler O'Neill? Mm. Uh, this is who is Matt Carpenter? Second baseman, isn't he? You can give him the. You can give me a ding. Oh, I had to double check myself to be quite honest. <laughs> Your lineup today, we can go ahead and uh, reveal it here. I don't get to finish it? Okay, we'll keep going. Who do you think is batting six for the Cardinals today? Who is Tyler O'Neill? This is who is Yadier Molina? Seventh. Who is Dylan Carlson? Mm. Who is Tyler O'Neill? God, I'm terrible at this. (laughs) And eighth. Who is Dylan Carlson? All right, yikes. Your Cardinals lineup no, today. That's a big. <laughs> Tommy Edmond in right field is leading off. Paul Goldschmidt is your first baseman. He is batting second. Nolan Arenado is playing at third. He is batting third. Paul DeYoung is at shortstop batting cleanup as usual. Matt Carpenter making his first start of the season, ladies and gentlemen. He will be your starting second baseman today. He is batting fifth. Yadier Molina is batting sixth behind the plate. Tyler O'Neill is batting seventh and left. And Dylan Carlson is is batting eighth in center field. John Gant on the mound for the Cardinals. What, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Like, what are we doing here? How in, in... take a breath, take a All breath. Right, I'm excited. This is what my wife tells me when I get angry and I start yelling, take a breath. 
She make you like count to ten too? Yeah. She tells me to walk away. Please give me one good reason. Just one. I'll give you a great reason. As to why Matt Carpenter is a better fifth hitter than Dylan Carlson. That's why. Just one. I said one good reason. Give you 15 million reasons why. I don't understand it. Hey, he's got one walk and three at-bats. That's Dylan a, Carlson that's is a, one of three thirty-three on-base percentage. I'm cooking here. Oh, Dylan Carlson is one of what? The five most important players for this Cardinals organization for the next five years, conservatively speaking. He's, he's on that list. I'd agree to that. Yes. You are batting him in front of a pitcher today. Why? Why? Well, I understand you're going up against a righty. John Dylan Carlson's one of your two switch hitters. Okay, in the but let me let me let me before you break things. Let me let me Is tell you. Smoke that uh, let me ask you. There? No, that's not. He didn't wipe his nose earlier. Wait, I said here. If you put Dylan Carlson in the eight hole, eight hole. I said not a hole, eight hole. Nobody was confusing the two. Timo looked at me. Took Literally nobody had confused those two. Timo looked at me. If you're putting him there, you're putting somebody who can get on base ahead for, for your pitcher. Of, Good point. For your pitcher, but hey, for the, the top portion of your batting order in Edmund, Goldschmidt, Arenado, and DeYoung. You're guaranteeing that he is going to come up or he is potentially going to be on base and you're going to whoever is coming up after him, John Gant in this instance, is, is going to okay, be but a what free if out. There's no out and Dylan Carlson gets on base. That's a bunt to get him to second base for the best part of your batting order. BK, I am trying to polish this into a gem for you. You know what I would prefer to have? Yadier Molina and Tyler O'Neill coming up after him, which is what we're going to have now with Matt Carpenter batting fifth in your lineup today. There's no good reason for this. There's not. I understand that the money plays, right? And if you want to get Matt Carpenter some opportunities out there on a random, what is this, Tuesday evening game in Miami, whatever, you can start him at second base and put him eighth. That's fine. Especially against a right-handed pitcher. This is where he should see his opportunities is against righties. He should not be batting fifth. There's no reasonable explanation for that. There is there is literally zero, zero sense to batting him fifth and batting Dylan Carlson eighth. What if Matt Carpenter just obliterates the baseball tonight in the five hole and just four for four and BK has rabies. to come back and just rescind all home of run, this home run in the ninth to give us walk lead. off grand salami oh, we can't walk it off I on the road but I like your thinking I don't <laughs> even mind Tommy Edmond and right Matt Carpenter at second I can live with that because we all knew coming into the season this was probably going to happen it's it's where they're batting that just kills me, man. I, it just kills me. I wonder if Carpenter walked into the ballpark fifth. I mean, fifth day? It'll be fifth. That's like Colton Pareko walking in and seeing his name on the board. I'm playing tonight? <laughs> I just... Did, can you... Can you guys... I... Maybe I'm being unreasonable. Is no, there, I tried is to justify it for you. I tried to justify for you, and you shot me down. You're putting, a, you're putting I, I somebody Par- who can hit in the eighth spot. I, yes, Gant is an out, but you're putting somebody on base. <laughs> that kind of attitude. Well, no. <laughs> you're putting somebody on base who can be on base for the best I, part of your lineup. Okay, I'm going to try another spin on this, and maybe Ferrari you're said getting, it, but I was kind of laughing at your reaction. You're guaranteeing for Carpenter than, than Carlson. So, That's what you're doing. Okay, what do you look at that way? But I'm looking... <laughs> I do. Actually, okay, this isn't going to be a very good excuse because Carlson will be left-handed today against Alcantara, but yep. I, I guess you just want to split up your righties <laughs> with Carpenter there? I don't know. But you can do the same thing with Carlson. 
And Bat Carpenter eighth. But in in fact, it's better because later in the game, now you have a switch hitter batting fifth. So regardless of who they bring in reliever-wise, maybe you, I've got a good matchup Maybe there. you'd rather have the ultimate out in the middle of the lineup you where other guys can hit. out in the middle of your lineup today. But maybe you want that in the middle of the lineup where other guys can produce, and now you don't have two back-to-back outs like it's been with Justin Williams and, and Austin Dean and the pitcher. Get your best hitters more at-bats. I'm telling you, Carpenter was shocked when he saw his fifth. <laughs> I honestly thought when you were, they were going to put Carpenter in lineup, he was going to be like seventh. Guys, we have multiple texters I know, that I'm, have texted in saying something to the effect of the disrespect for John know, Gann I'm at the sorry. plate right now is yeah, downright seriously. criminal. We love pitchers hitting here at 101 ESPN. <laughs> no. Me and BT support it. You, you're using the word we very, very, very hey, generously. There's two, there's two people that support it. Makes it a we. It's fine. John Gant in his career. Only two people make a we? In John Gant's so. entire career. He has 50 plate appearances. Ten do you know 50. how? Do you know how many hits? Do not look this up, Alex. Do you know how many hits? Fast enough. John four. Gant has four. in his 50 plate appearances in his entire. I'll career. say two because he's got two home runs and it's probably the only two hits he's had. He has two. He has two hits. He's got two home 50 runs. 50 plate appearances. Wait, are they two home runs? Yeah. They're both home runs. Oh my gosh, guys! Carlson's gonna be fine. He's gonna get pitches to hit tonight. <laughs> I agree with the text line. What's up with the negativity with Gant? I, woof. I got nothing for you guys. Woof. How many how many sack bunts? That's more important, too. Let me pull it How many walks? Nah, we don't care about that. I'm pretty sure the answer is zero. Well, Jack oh. Flaherty gets two walks in a game, and T-Bone's like, let the pitchers hit. Yeah, I can't find the sack bunts on here. Yeah, we'll just assume he's got a lot. Yeah, I don't think so. He, oh, he has six sacrifice hits in his career. Hey, that's impressive. Wait, hits or buns? Hits. So eight total, you know. Effective at Effective at bats. Yeah, that's a pretty good percentage. So you put Carlson in front of one of your better hitters, and you got yourself a nice five roundup of Carlson, Gant, Edmund, Goldschmidt, Arenado. Think of it this way. Gant with one hit will have more hits than the right fielders combined. Apparently Boom. our Facebook post says that Chris Carpenter is batting fifth. So, Does our Facebook post say our Chris Carpenter's serious, hitting fifth? Serious question. Oh my gosh. Would that make you more or less comfortable? Uh, I'd take Chris Carpenter. I'd take Chris Carpenter. I'll stick with Matt. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. There's your lineup for the Cardinals tonight. Get excited Same about it. Same thing I tell my guys in the softball lineup. If the guys at the top hit like they're supposed to, it doesn't matter if you bat fifth or eighth, you're going to get ABs. <laughs> Coming up next, David Sampson, former Marlins team president, is going to join the show. Maybe we'll ask him about this. I'm sure he's got a better explanation than I do on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, we've calmed down a little bit from the news that I've Matt always Carpenter. Been calm is batting fifth tonight for the Cardinals down in Miami. A man that I always love talking to, especially when the Cardinals take on the Marlins, is the former Marlins president, David Sampson, joining us via the Brownian Group and Celebrity Line. David, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? 
I'm doing great. You know, I love St. Louis. I love being on with you guys. What's happening? Doing all right. So, David, I am curious. You were a team president once upon a time. Uh, the Cardinals are batting Matt Carpenter fifth in their lineup today. He he looked lost at the plate last year. He He had a really, really rough spring this year. And there's not a whole lot of fans that have a lot of confidence that he's going to get this turned around. I am curious from a business standpoint, when you have a player like Carpenter, who's owed $20 million this year, how do you approach that? Because I, I can understand wanting to make that contract work, but if you do so at the expense of other guys that are better in your lineup getting higher in that lineup, what, how do you make this work? So the last thing you want to do is go to your owner and say, we're not going to play Carpenter anymore. We're not going to bat him. We're not going to play him. And we're sorry. It's just not happening. You really, that's sort of when all spot in the lineup, every spot in the field, you literally do anything before acknowledging you made a mistake with a contract. I know that I've done that a lot of times over my 18 years. So the stage that the Cardinals are in right now is that they are hopeful that spring doesn't matter, which they know it doesn't, whether you hit 500 or 200, it really doesn't matter. It's only meant to get you ready for the season. And you also were hoping that he would start strongly, even though we also know how you start doesn't matter because it's such a small sample size, but it still gives you a little cover with the media, with the fans and with your owner. And right now they're looking for that cover. So it's only the first week of the season. They're going to go with him for another month or two. You're not going to see any change at all, in my opinion, until June. With that mindset, David, do you do you ever change that mind? Like what has to happen from a team perspective where you change that mindset and say, look, it's time to pull the plug here? Uh, the answer is you do that when you think that you, as I said, when you've run out of all possibilities and you don't run out of those possibilities in April because you get to keep saying it's early. And as long as I can tell the owner it's still early, I can buy some time. When you get around June and you sort of can see the all-star break coming in 30 days and you start planning your deadline, which is coming in 60 days at the end of July, that's when you can no longer say it's early, except what I used to say when we had a really bad player who was being paid a lot of money, I would say it's not early, but it's late early. So that would give me another week or two to hope that the player would turn it around. Interesting. We're talking to David Sampson, former Marlins president, joining us here on 101 ESPN. David, what's been your early impression of this Cardinals team so far? I mean, Goldie and Arenado have looked the part. They look tremendous batting second and third for the Cardinals. Uh, the rest is a little bit of a work in progress for sure. But what's been your early impression of this team? I'm just, I am, I'm fully obsessed and hope that all of you are appreciative that you get to watch Yachty Molina. Uh, I, it is so remarkable what he's done over 17 years, 17 straight opening day starts and just having him back. And I'm not necessarily looking at his impact anymore on the offensive side or even on the defensive side. His reputation carries him defensively. And then his, sort of veteran status is what helps the team in ways that you may not see because it's not happening when the lights are on or when the cameras are on. And that's sort of how I think about Wainwright as well and what his role is on this team. I think for the Cardinals to perform, that middle of the lineup is going to have to do it. And when you have Goldschmidt and Arenado, you have a very good opportunity to be a top offensive team. And just don't get worried about you know being 2-2 two and two or if you lose a game to the Marlins, which I doubt they will, but they could. Just don't start thinking about anything until after 60. So here's the rule that we had. 
You're going to win 60 games every year, and you're going to lose 60 games every year. All that matters is, is 42 games. So we would go into a season, and we would go through with the manager and the players and the GM sort of the 42 games where we identified what record we needed in those 42 games to make the playoffs and which games they were. David, I'm curious when it comes to that heart of the batting order, you know, we, we did a list earlier this season on our show of the most important Cardinals for this upcoming season. And obviously Goldschmidt and Arenado are, are at the top of that list. But when it comes to offense around those guys, who do you think is important for this season to be successful? So the way we look at our lineup is when you have the best guy, you're, generally your best hitter is in the two hole. It didn't used to be that way, but it is now. So you put your best hitter in the two hole it used to do speed at the top of the lineup. But now let's say Goldschmidt at two. What you really want to see is your leadoff hitter, whether it's Tommy, Edmund, whoever they have leading off. You just need people on base. So I'm looking at the top of the order and the bottom of the order because when it goes around who, how your bench performs, believe it or not, whether or not there's a chance of ever hitting your pitcher eighth because the reason why we used to hit pitchers eighth from time to time is we wanted the top of our order to have as many people on base as possible. What's changed a little bit is the reality that we're just waiting for a home run. We're just waiting for a home run or a strikeout or a walk. But now in 2021, what if they did deaden the balls? What if there's going to be a different year this year? We don't know. It's only been four games. What if it's about gap hitting? What if it's about moving runners and speed? Then that will sort of change how your lineup looks. So my answer is I'm looking at Goldschmidt and Arenado and how many opportunities they have with people on base. And if I'm running the Cardinals, I'm making sure that I put my best on-base percentage guys in the 8-9-1 hole. David, one of the things that you said that I found really interesting was talking about the importance of guys like Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, not even necessarily on the field, but what they bring off of the field. And I think this fan base feels that as well. It's important here in St. Louis, as you know, to be able to have guys like Waino and Yadi never wear another jersey in their careers. As someone who's been on the business side of things in a front office, how significant is that? To be able to keep guys that are with, I mean, Yadi, I think, is a future Hall of Famer. Wayno is going to be wearing a red jacket for the Cardinals eventually. How important is it to keep those guys in one city for their entire careers? The only, it, it, it's not until it is. So I want to explain that very, very deeply here, quickly. We've got players who we want to be on our team. We want them to retire a Cardinal. But if they have a delusion about what they're worth, and they want to pretend that they're still worth what they were making at the height of their career on the field, we're not going to pay that for what they offer to us off the field combined with their diminished performance on it. But if they're reasonable and they recognize that they're not going to get paid what they did, then I would be more likely to have that player stay on the team for longer and retire as a lifetime Cardinal. But if there comes a point where Yadier says, listen, I'm not re-signing at anything under than this $7 million, He's not going to be worth that for much longer. So if he stays too long, you'll see his salary go down and down and down. And the Cardinals are going to keep signing him to those lower and lower contracts and keep him as long as he wants. But if his demands stay the same or go up, then the Cardinals would be okay with saying goodbye to him. At the end of the day, he is a Cardinal. Everyone will associate him with the Cardinals, and it'll, and that's how it will end up. David Sampson, former Marlins president, joining us for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can also check out his podcast called Nothing Personal. You can find the link to that on his Twitter account at David P. Sampson. Uh, David, I did want to ask you about the big news in baseball today with Fernando Tatis going down with his shoulder injury, the recurring shoulder injury for him. 
How do you think that front office out in San Diego right now is feeling about this injury after they just signed him to that mega deal? Well, they knew because they've got multiple sets of medicals for every player, right? They've got the secret set and the actual set. And, but they have access to all sets. So they knew that Tatis had a shoulder issue. And the way we used to look at it, like when we signed Stanton to 13 years, 325, we knew he had been injury prone, but we thought all the injuries were not related. And even though he had just been hit in the face, our belief was that he'd come back and he'd be fine because the odds of a position player having a career ending injury are really de minimis. You know, Albert Bell with the degenerative hip. I mean, there are things that happen, but generally you worry about pitchers more than position players. So the Padres are okay with Tatis' shoulder. They knew about it. He's going to have to have surgery uh, on that shoulder because it keeps popping in and out, and that's not good for long term. So he's going to want to clean it up and fix that. And the Padres are going to talk to him about when to do it, and that's always an uncomfortable conversation because teams want their players to get surgery at a time when they'll miss as few games as possible. And players, depending on their contract status, want to not play if they're injured because they're concerned about their stats and then not getting paid as much. But in this case, with Tatis already signed, they will be able to come to a quick agreement about the best time for his surgery, and we'll wait to see what that is. I think they're going to hold on as long as possible because that type of surgery, he could miss a bunch of this season, and the Padres, for whatever reason, believe that they are destined this year. And last thing for you, David, around baseball and certainly here in St. Louis, one of the big conversations is about getting the innings from the pitchers. Have you seen any trends that interest you so far in terms of the way that starting pitchers are being used early in this season and what that could mean over 162? So right now they're coming off a 2020 season where they, they had 60 games, so that's about a third less roughly than what they would normally get. It is not good for pitchers to go from 70 innings to 200 innings. Uh, when they haven't pitched that much since 2019. So I think that what we're going to see here in the middle, late summer, is more pitcher injuries, more position player injuries, because they're going to start having three, four hundred, five hundred at-bats for the first time in two years. And you're going to see that depth is going to matter. And I think the Cardinals are in good shape in the Central because they're going to need depth. They have depth. And at the deadline, you're going to see buyers buying depth versus stars. It's interesting. That's certainly something that we've talked a little bit about throughout the spring, and it's interesting to hear that from you as well. David, always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and the family. Enjoy it down in Miami, and we'll be listening to the Nothing Personal podcast that we can find over on your Twitter account, at David P. Sampson. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Absolutely. That's David Sampson joining us here on 101 ESPN. That The pitching depth is one of the storylines that we have already seen happen here in St. Louis with Michael is going down and KK going down and them kind of dipping into that pitching depth already. I think we are going to see that more and more as the season goes on. I hope he's not right about getting depth instead of stars because I want Max Scherzer in St. Louis. Well, that would add to your depth. technically. Yeah, but that's a star. Yeah, no, it certainly is. And one of the things that could also lead into that is the NL East. I mean, you can already see it early on. The Braves just made a big ad earlier today with Arcia. Maybe not a big ad. That's overselling it a little bit. But you really like already, Orlando Arcia, don't you? <laughs> they already added to Damn. their team today with Arcia trying to build their depth. Yeah. So I think you're starting to see these teams that came out of spring training that had some questions. They're like, okay, where do we need to fill things in? The Yankees made an announcement just a little bit ago as well. They've acquired Runette Odor in a trade with the Rangers. Again, well, not a big ad, but an ad for depth nonetheless. They, just want, they want someone who can throw a nasty right hook. Yeah, for the Red Sox series. Yeah, you got to have somebody who can punch. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over next. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, if you missed anything from today's show, I thought it was a pretty good Which one. Which you shouldn't have. Shouldn't have, but if you did, yeah, podcast page. Yeah, that. Right? Oh, it was fantastic. I'm going to make sure I download the podcast I for sure. You can do so listening. at 101ESPN.com. I'm going to write that down. Hang you on. You should also try downloading the free 101 ESPN app. You can listen to mm-hmm. us from there. Make sure you register. I did that. Get cool stuff on there. Also, thanks to our friends at I Promise, right? It's all presented by I Promise. Oh, so much screen time. I Promise is huge in my life. The voice you hear is Jamie Rivers crossing things over with the fast lane. What's going on, man? Oh, it's just a beautiful day out. No problems at all. No in, worries. In St. Louis Blues world, nothing I wrong. I think I've blown four gaskets today. God. Whoa. Did you... Uh, in the building? Have four? you seen Have you seen the Cardinals lineup? I haven't met that guy yet. <laughs> What's that? Have you seen the Cardinals lineup yet? Uh, no, don't no. tell me. Please don't tell me don't anything it. at all because I know one thing's for sure that I, I I enjoy during Cardinals season now that you know I'm part of the fast lane is the lineup game. And I don't like when people destroy it. As you okay. can see, I've logged off the text line because I don't want to see oh, it. Oh, sorry. It, it might be the only fun I have today after last night's Blues loss. Hey. I can't promise that. It is. That. Yeah, what do you want me true. to tell that's you? That's true. I can't promise you that it's going to be fun. But we'll, you guys can get to that. BK, why, why are you a factory hey, again, I'm not saying anything more. God. I'm not saying anything more. Thank you. Yeah, right. Thank Jeez, you, It's just T-Bone. BKO City over here. I just got BKO'd, and he's supposed to like it. And me. you didn't even know what was happening. No. Unsolicited BKO. He's BKO'd. blown caskets all over the place. All right, what else you got hey, for hey, me? Hey, how are you today, buddy? <laughs> What else is coming up today on the Fast Lane? Well, uh, we're going to have another individual that I'm sure is going to love talking about all this is Joey Vitale. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Joey's so going to be awesome. We'll probably talk about paintings and mountain climbing and his next-door neighbor's dog. Ask Pro- him about where nipples come from. Mm, he actually blessed us with that Did one he? time not too long That's ago. Uh, we're going to be talking certainly about the Cardinals and talking about the NCAA last night. You know, Baylor with a, an absolute I'm not happy dismantling. With that. I'm happy. I had Baylor on that one. Of course, I had Baylor the whole time. Guess how much basketball I watched this year. Exactly. I BT, by you. the way, finished like top 25 or 50, I think, in our uh, bracket It was like 26th, I think, with everybody. He cheated. He looked off of Jamie's. No, he kept, I don't know, he kept hacking into the system. Oh, he knows how no, to do that? That makes sense. He, that, he was do doing that. what Jeff Burton was doing during the Pick'em Challenge. <laughs> What's that, sleeping and picking the winners? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I still don't know how that happened. But, it's incredible. Um, for your jersey. I'm looking forward to the fast lane today. We will be back tomorrow at 11 here on 101 ESPN. You should also tune in this Thursday as 101 ESPN, other than Tanner Hendrickson, broadcast like live for the Cardinals home I'll bring opener. bring you a hot dog. Cardinals are set to open the season at Bush this Thursday. Starting at 7 a.m., Carriker and Smallman will be out at the Bud Beer Garden at Ballpark <laughs> Village. We will continue on BK and Ferrario, the Danny Mac Show with BK, and then the Fast Lane, all from 7 to 6, all at Ballpark Village, just steps away from the stadium. Opening day brought to you by Green Envy Lawn Care and by Budweiser. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylies. Talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 on 101 ESPN. Mmm. 
You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.